There's just a few things I think we want to uh, get into before we before we go too too much further. Um, first of all, uh, all the fellowship that we have here, we've said this in the past sessions, but we're going to say it again. None of this is intended to be prescriptive uh, and should not be taken as the way of doing things. Okay, it's simply mm -hmm. learning and that that is being passed on and should just be taken in the way of principle. And so with principles, you know, that the principles should always be applied through prayer and careful consideration of our own circumstances and environment. So this is not intended to be uh, taken as, as some kind of method to be duplicated or promoted, okay? We are assuming a number of things, okay? So all these things being equal or being carried out, based on that, we are having this fellowship. And what we are assuming is that we are all endeavoring to be personally revived by the Lord. Uh, we, have, we are endeavoring to have a healthy uh, relationship with him. And that we're also related to other believers. <clears throat> and so together with those other believers, we're learning to serve together and we're learning to bear fruit. Also, prayer, desperate, thorough, fighting prayer is essential. Without prayer, we really have no way to bear fruit. Um, so these are, these are some uh, principles. Uh, additionally, um, we, we're, we're, we, we, it's really better to not labor as an independent contractor, to not labor as somebody who's kind of just this uh, independent, super, super evangelist. Um, sure, there are people like that out there, but for longevity and actually for long-term fruitfulness, it's always best to be related other members in the body of Christ. So these are kind of things that we are assuming. So we're not dwelling on these things um, in this fellowship. We are assuming that there's a kind of common understanding there. So based on that, then we're going to go on and uh, jump into what we have today, which is focusing mainly on uh, unbelievers. So Guillaume, we were talking about this before, and um, what would you say are uh, some things we need to be concerned about when we are trying to bring the Lord to unbelievers? I think one of the things we had talked about was the matter of our heart, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. I think... <clears throat> As you mentioned, um, and as we have covered, you know, these matters in the last two dive sessions, like our heart is very, very important. Um, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we view others, it is very, very important. And we saw last week that there is a, there is a hunger in the world. Uh, the, people are starving. And so they need to be supplied they need to know the truth. They need to know 
they need to come to know the living God. And so we should have really this, this desperation to, to bring others into what we are enjoying today. Uh, so our heart is very, is very critical. Um, and so, uh, okay, first of all, all of us here, we are here because someone prayed for us. We are not here because we're good. Uh, we are not here because we are worthy. We're not here for anything that comes out of ourselves. We were prayed for. And so we need to pray for others. All of our unbelieving friends, family members, colleagues, relatives, classmates, like we need, we need to pray for them. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, there, there's a quote that we wanted to read to you. Um, it's from Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you know Spurgeon, but I really like that quote. He says, um, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. And, and I, I, I believe that. Like, it should be very normal for us to be concerned for, for others. Um, can, can you... Can you, Trevor, pull out that verse, Luke 7, 47? Do we have the way to do that today, to bring out verses? Or I can just read the verse if you don't have it, Luke 7, 47. I can do it. Hold on. Okay, okay. And, and maybe, David, if you're okay with that, you, you could read that verse to us. Ready? Yeah. yeah. Luke 7, 47. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, he loves little. Amen. Okay. So I really like that verse. And we don't have to keep it on there. Um, because, you know, we have been forgiven a lot. Whether we realize that or not, I, I hope we realize that the Lord forgave a lot. And so we should love much. We should have an immense love toward others. Um, and so if we don't feel this way, we, we can ask the Lord uh, to, to enlarge our heart. We can ask the Lord to, to maybe shine upon us. Because even if you grew up in the church life and, and you think you're, you're pretty good, uh, I hope you'll realize that the Lord forgave you a lot of things. And so if you have that experience, that realization that spontaneously you, you love much, you love much the Lord, but you also love much the ones that he wants to save and you want to come um, and take care of others. So that's very key to me. And as an unbeliever, as Nathaniel mentioned, uh, this verse is, is very precious to me. Um, becoming a believer and realizing that, yeah, the Lord is very merciful. Also, um, Haggai 2.7 says that Christ is the desire of all the nations. And so they don't realize that. But if they're looking for love, for peace, for righteousness, for joy, for satisfaction, for refreshment, for comfort, for rest, whatever that is that they're looking for, 
Christ is their desire. And so we need to have this, this, this burden to bring Christ to them. Um, yes. So that's the matter of our heart. We need to have a heart for people. And last week, I think Trevor mentioned that the first characteristic of a servant of the Lord is to be a good listener. And that's, that's so important. And the second thing is to be a lover of man. So we really need to have that heart. And if we don't have too much feelings about others, we can just pray to the Lord honestly to him and just say, Lord, grant me your heart. Reproduce your heart in my heart. I want to care for others and especially unbelievers. Mm. Awesome. Amen. Um, Shall we talk about the way to prepare ourselves to um, how do we prepare ourselves to talk to other people and especially unbelievers? That's the focus of our session today. What do you think about that? Let's do it. Okay. Um, Okay. So again, what matters is our prayers, the spirit, the word, that's the base. Um, now, when we come to speaking with unbelievers, um, I think we need, to, we need to be a little bit more equipped in general. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's quite important. Let's, let's read a verse, Colossians 2.8. Let's start with a verse. Yeah. Maybe we can read that verse, um, and maybe uh, maybe Zach, if you're okay, you you can read that verse for us. Yep. So that's Colossians two eight. Two eight. Beware that no one carries you off as spoil through his philosophy and empty deceit, mm-hmm. according to the tradition of men, according to the elements of the world. And not according to Christ. Right. This is very key, very important. Um, when we go to school, especially, I'm very burdened for the ones who are right now at school because you hear a lot of things, a lot of philosophies, a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different opinions. And then when we go to work, when we live every day, we hear a lot of things. And so we can easily be carried off as spoiled. And so we need to know what we call uh, epistemology a a little bit better. That means we need to know, how do we know what we know? Okay. How do we know what we know? We need to be a little bit more curious overall. We, as believers, we believe in a lot of things. Uh, We believe in the Bible. We believe, uh, especially in the Lord's recovery, in God's economy. We believe in a lot of things, but I hope that we would have this attitude of finding out why we believe these things. Otherwise, if someone comes your way and asks you questions about your faith, you may not be very well equipped to respond. Or if someone has a very good point on something that would challenge your faith, you may not be very well equipped to, um, to take that. And so I hope that we would have the attitudes of the Bereans 
in Acts 17 to daily study the scriptures and to see if these things were so. Everything that you hear in the church life, uh, in, in, in a book that you're reading, uh, in some fellowship that you're receiving, please, please check in the word, okay? So that you can apprehend these things. They can become yours. It's very important. I was an unbeliever when I first met the saints and I was checking everything they were saying, okay? I was not receiving thing as like face value. I would just go in the word and see for myself, is this so? And actually, to be very honest with you, I was so afraid that these people were in a cult that I was trying to find a reason not to meet with them again. So I would be very, very uh, serious about studying what they were claiming was true. And I hope that we could have a little bit that attitude. Uh, it, it's so helpful uh, to speak the Lord to people. Uh, and especially with unbelievers that have questions that may be challenging. If we are not equipped, uh, we will not be able to help them. So very important. Do you brothers want to add anything to that? I think, yeah, I, I like I like where it's going. You want? Why don't you just keep going, bro? You want to go to Philippians three eight? Yes, go. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, Philippians three eight. <laughs> Very good. Okay, that's that's kind of the balancing, kind of a balancing word. Uh, maybe Zach, can you continue to read for us, please? All right. Philippians 3.8, but moreover, I also count all things to be lost on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, on account of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse that I may gain Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. So I want you to have the, this, this kind of burden to, um, to, study, to study things a little bit more. Um, the word what we believe in, and also, and we'll come to that later, like many other things that people pursue today, people believe today, philosophies, cultural things, religious things, political things, to some extent, so that you understand what they are, the realm that they are living in, the, the concerns they have, the thoughts that they have. But I don't want you to go too far, okay? We don't want you to go too far. So, all these things, they don't matter, okay? What we want is just Christ. We want to pursue Christ. So I don't want you to become uh, apologists, being super versed in, in, in how to defend the gospel, this and that. I mean, we are not here to do, to do that. We just want to be equipped on how to help people receive the Lord, be saved, enjoy all the things that we enjoy, okay? So this is just the kind of a balancing verse. Uh, we don't want to go too far. So I don't want to press that point of studying things too far, but we do have to study to help people. Okay, that, that makes sense? Yeah, I, if I could jump in here, I think, I think one thing that we need to realize is that our, uh, you know, our, our inner being, our heart, can actually be likened to a, a camera and actually the, the lens of the camera 
Um, I don't know if you guys know that much about cameras, but anyway, the lens of the camera is really the person's mind. And so a lot of times I, I need to, I need to speak in a certain way to their mind and I need to combat certain uh, obstacles in the person's mind. I can't bypass the mind mm-hmm. and, and just hope that uh, in my speaking, I'm going to get um, down to the mirror, which is, which is inside the camera that's actually capturing the image, which we can liken to their spirit. I can't just jump to that part. Um, I don't know if you've ever played with a, with a real camera, not your phone, but uh, if you don't have a lens on it and you just start taking pictures, it, they, uh, it just, it, it's horrible. And so um, what we need to do, I think, I think just to kind of back up what Guillaume's saying here, what we need to do is we do, we do need a little bit to help us out to understand who we're talking to. And, and reasoning is not, is not bad. You know, you can, you can actually reason with people to a certain extent, but I think, you know, inwardly when you need to stop. So in, in my experience, I've, I've sat with people and you can tell very quickly if this is going somewhere or if this person just wants to be right, if they're open, what types of questions they're asking, um, and all these things. And so you need to learn how to discern whether I need to move on from this conversation mm-hmm. or, or I, need to, uh, I need to keep going because this person's actually open and they're actually uh, asking very legitimate questions. So um, anyway, it's not, it's not a bad thing. Doesn't it, uh, there's a verse we should have pulled up, but I'm pretty sure there's one about all like reasoning with the Pharisees in the temple or something like that. So, so this isn't, this isn't something like foreign to the Bible. Um, another, can, can we pull up another verse, bro? I, I actually was thinking about this today. Okay. And this is my favorite verse. I find. Your favorite I, verse. Well, sorry. My favorite verse on this topic. Okay. okay. I find, I find that, uh, um, I think if you've watched all the dive sessions, you actually know my favorite verses, but okay. So. Uh, my favorite verse on this topic is actually in the book of Acts. And I, I oftentimes like to share this with uh, students uh, that, that I'm kind of taking care of because they feel like, oh, I can't do what you do. Oh, you know, like, what if the person asks me a question I don't know? These are, these are very, very common things where I think when you really boil it down, why people don't want to talk to unbelievers, when you really boil it down, is they're scared of getting embarrassed. They're scared of them asking you a question that you don't know the answer to, okay? And I think that's a fear in all of us, of course, of course. For sure. But I, I, am, I am not the all-knowing person, okay? But there's, there is something, there is something that that you know that there's a very high likelihood that they don't know. Right. And this can give you some confidence and some courage uh, and even some boldness, which has great reward, according to the book of Hebrews. Um, you know, actually, our, our boldness should be the fact that we know the meaning of life. And that Amen. person I'm talking to, I don't, I don't care if it's, it's Richard Dawkins. I don't care who it is, okay? Uh, he, he doesn't. 
that person across from me does not know the meaning of their life. And so if I can explain at least that, the meaning of life, okay, that God wants to dispense himself into you so that he would have an expression that would ultimately consummate the new Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, don't, don't say all that stuff, by the way, when you're talking to them. But, but if I, if I know that, okay. And I can explain this in a very human, normal way, I can immediately diffuse a lot of things that will come at us. Okay. So this is on a very basic general level that we're kind of talking. Okay. But this is awesome. This is awesome. Zach, I need you to, I need you to read a verse here. Okay. And this is an Acts. Um, uh, here we go. It's four, it's 413. Oh man, this is, bro. Tell me what you think. Oh, okay. You know, I'm just going to have you read it and then I'll tell you a story. Go ahead. All right. Acts 4.13. And as they beheld the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men and laymen, they marveled and they recognized them that they had been with Jesus. Ooh, bro. How tight is this verse? Okay. This is amazing. Because, um, you know, John and Peter ended up writing some books in the New Testament. So I don't think they were total idiots, you know. But this is, this is actually saying that they were uneducated and they were laymen, you know. Uh, they were mending nets. Dude, they were fishermen. And so they were not highly educated. And so this idea, this idea that a lot of saints have, oh, man, I can't, I don't know how to answer this question. Oh, man. People, people can sense, people can taste spiritually, uh, life unto life and death unto death. They can actually see that you have been with Jesus. And so there is something that can be very attracting. If you spent time with the Lord and you're speaking to them out of your experience, okay, that you can still draw them. Okay. You don't have to have answers to everything. But, but what we're going to go over in the dive today is we're going to talk about answers to some things, okay, that will help you a little bit. I'm not asking you to do like 5,000 videos on YouTube like the three of us like to do, where we really like to get into this stuff. But you, you get what I'm saying, Zach? Is this verse tight, bro? Yeah, it's a great verse. Like, I love this verse. Amen. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say it. It really. Um, I, I'd say it, it ties in with with my experience quite a bit, because, um, well, especially when I started joining the dives, I had a had a better idea of, um, how to answer a lot of questions. Um, but before that, um, I I felt like my friends kind of respected me and kind of they were they're kind of drawn to the fact that um i was i was definitely for the lord and then they can see that and um so when they had when they had issues they they knew that um i would i would be there for them and i i might have some answers for them that's awesome bro that's awesome nathaniel what were you gonna say uh, that's really good um I was just thinking about, I think it was something you had said earlier, that when we speak to people, we do have to also speak to their mind, not, we have to speak to their spirit, but a lot of times the mind is in the way. 
And so in a sense, we have to learn how to speak to people to kind of, if I can use this word, to take care of their mind so that, you know, and, and, and a lot of this, I think, comes through practice. So it, there's just no way around it. You have to just be ready to make mistakes. But you actually learn a lot through making mistakes. And um, there's this verse in 2 Corinthians. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And um, I don't know, maybe we could, yeah, just read that real quick. Um, Amen. David, can you re read that for us? Second Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers, that the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine unto them. Right. Thank you. And so what this does is this actually describes what is happening as we're speaking to people. Okay. As we speak to people there, um, Satan as the God of this age is actively working to try to blind their thoughts. And so, uh, to, as we're speaking to people on the one hand, we need to have a spirit of prayer. On the other hand, we have to realize and, and I, I don't know, I, I think the more you speak to unbeliever, unbelievers, the more you ha you, 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 you've had this experience where you realize you say something and you've just stepped on a minefield. And, and then, you know, it's like a little kind of psychological explosion. And you realize, okay, you have to step back and, and, and kind of uh, come at what you're talking about in a, in a different way. Because... As we're speaking, the Lord is trying to shine into their mind. And so actually that's one of the functions of our speaking is we want the Lord to shine into their mind so that they can then be uh, enlightened. And so uh, on the one hand, this requires the exercise of our spirit. On the other hand, it does require some equipping. It requires just some learning on what are the minefields that you might um, that you might encounter with people. What kind of minefields might you encounter with unbelievers? And learning and and not being thrown off by it. I don't know about you all, but sometimes, you know, somebody I'll be talking to someone who who's an unbeliever and they'll say something, and I just feel a little bit like a deer in the headlights. You know, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, what do I, ah, oh, man, what do I say? And then after the conversation is over, like all the perfect responses come to me, you know, just they flood in. It's like, oh, I could have said that. I could have said this. I could have said that. Anyway, so we're all learning in this kind of thing. And so hopefully what we're going to talk about um, coming up will kind of help to, to address some of these things. Yeah, there's, okay, we go to people um, out, out of love for them. We, we love people. That's why we, we, we burden and concern for their salvation. And we don't, so love is, love is the element here. And then we, we, we always go as a learner, not as a teacher, right? We, we go 
And as we interact with people, we are there just to learn, um, learn who they are, uh, learn what, what they are into. And so there's always, there are many lessons to learn. And so we should have, you know, this attitude approaching others. Uh, we're not there to, you know, to save them necessarily. This is obviously the end goal. We'd like for them to receive the Lord. Uh, but we go there with a heart to simply love them and to learn from them. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that when you meet people, you learn a lot about about people, of course, about yourself and about the Lord. And so all, all these circumstances are very, very helpful. And so what we want you to to have in heart is that we cannot be dispassionate about the claims that we make as, as believers. So it, they are not just subjective claims, right? And we'll come to that later. It's the objective truth. And so if as Christians, we are not concerned about it, I'm a little bit concerned about our heart then. And so anyways, it's also very important. Um, you know, as we go to people, we want them to read us as letters of Christ. We want them to feel that we are captives of Christ on a train of vanquished foes. We want them to smell the fragrance of Christ. Uh, we want them to see the reflection of Christ. So all of these wonderful things, um, not necessarily trying to win an argument to debate over things. But we do have, like Nathaniel was sharing, we do need to pass through the mind. And so there are some helpful tips that we can try to uh, get into um, a little bit later. Well, along that line, Guillaume, um, I think, doesn't that, there's that verse, Romans 2.15, doesn't it? Um, that kind of speaks about this. Like when we're trying to speak mm -hmm. to people, you know, I, I appreciated what kind of what David brought out that, you know, there's, there, there's definitely a kind of divine side, right. Uh, where we have to be one with the Lord. We have to be one with Christ who is our head. And then, you know, even as Christ himself is both divine and human, there's also kind of this, there's the human side. And so, these these two aspects just balance the, each other, themselves out in such a wonderful way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that verse, right, kind of speaks a little to, little to that, doesn't it? Yes, yes. This is a wonderful verse, um, very wonderful. And and perhaps could you, um, Zach, could you help us out um, with Romans two fifteen? Amen. Uh, Romans two fifteen who showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness with it and their reasons, one with the other, accusing or even excusing them. Amen. Wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed that verse. Um, okay. So Trevor mentioned that we should feel maybe a little bit better when we talk to others because we know something that most people have no idea. They don't know the purpose of human life. So even though the person we're talking to is maybe uh, very eloquent or very smart or whatever, we have something wonderful, very precious to bring to them, regardless of what we think of us. Okay, the other thing very uh, helpful 
is to realize within every man, by God's design, inside they have a conscience that is telling them what's right and what's wrong. And so they can suppress that feeling, uh, but it's there. It's embedded in, in, in their own being. So as you speak the word, as you speak Christ to somebody, uh, there's some part inside that person that says, amen, amen, amen. That's right. And so this should be a comfort that we just speak something regardless of the person's reaction. Uh, we should not be disappointed if the person is not you know, saved on the spot. We just infuse him with a little something, a little life element that will eventually produce something. And so this is very important. And when we talk to unbelievers, especially, this is where we should be aiming at. Okay. So we have to pass through the mind, but actually what we want to touch is their conscience to access the heart. Okay. And so, for example, um, we know, I hope we know that we need to repent and believe this is how we get saved, right? We need to repent for all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, and we need to believe. We need to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to receive eternal life. And so when you talk to someone, and they will always re reply the same thing. If you ask someone, how many lies have you told, have you said? Okay, they, they always say, you know, Plenty, a lot, countless, because we all lie. Um, have you stolen anything? They will all say yes. Even, you know, something small when you were a kid, you, you, you stole something or you downloaded something online that you were not allowed to do. You stole something. So you're a lying thief, right? People will, will, will just confess that. Um, you probably had lustful, lustful desires, thoughts. Everyone have these things so you're an adulterer heart you're a lying thief you're in trouble okay there's a verse in romans chapter 6 verse 23 that says that the wages of sin is death so that means that when you sin uh you will be paid for all of these sins there's there's there are wages so that's a, a righteous payment for all of your sins. And so when you lie, when you steal something, when you have lustful desires, you be paid and the payment is death. So you're under condemnation. And so if you can bring someone to realize that there is a problem, there's a fundamental problem with them, you can access their conscience and help them to, to turn to the Lord. And so mm -hmm. you cannot just repent, say, yes, that's right. I, I stole something. I'm sorry. It's not sufficient. You need to believe. If I am called by a judge because I did a crime and I go before the judge and I say, yes, that's right. I, I stole that thing and I'm very sorry. I won't do it again. The judge will not tell me, okay, good, just walk away. No, I will, I, will be, I will be judged. There will be a sentence. I will have to pay a fine. I will have to serve prison, something. I cannot just walk away. 
And that's the believing part. You cannot just agree that something is wrong with you. You need to also believe to be saved that someone actually paid the fine for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins to pay for the wages of sin that were upon you. And so, you know, these are just little things here and there that you need to probably be aware of when you talk to an unbeliever, you need to pass through the mind and you want to touch the conscience to bring them to realize that there is a problem with the way they live. Does that make sense, uh, Nathaniel? Yeah, I like that a lot. <clears throat> um, you know, when you're, when you, when we're with people, uh, I, okay, and obviously it does. I think this also right depends on where we, where we are. So like, you know, I obviously you can tell by my accent. I, I, I'm, you know, originally from the U.S. I have an American passport. But I now live in the UK, mm -hmm. and in your case, you um, you you're from France, but you're currently living in Canada. So, in a sense, sometimes when we speak to people, uh, these these are some things that we can kind of employ as we're as we're speaking to people, and sometimes I don't know what your experience is like, but. Um, you know, people are just interested to kind of know, um, you know, what, what, who you are, especially if you're not quote from, from around, around here. So this mm -hmm. may apply if you're in that kind of situation. Um, but other words, e either, either way, I think, and I'm actually really, I really appreciate what you said, because it's very simple. You know, it's like, do you lie? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lusted? Those three things. I mean, I think every single person on the face of the planet would have to answer yes at least one time. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that about sin is that we can talk later about the word sin, but, you know, it's very interesting that uh, if you've just done it once, that's it, right? Yeah. If you've just done it once, that makes, you know, you kind of align thief with an adulterous heart. I mean, that's convicting. And, and a lot of times, you know, we meet people who their view of themselves is they're a very good person, but they may not kind of have that, that, that realization. Yeah. Yeah. And another one that's also very um, common, especially in the English language, it's to use God's name in vain. I hear it mm. every day. Oh, every day. And so, and, and this is against the, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? Um, and so you would never use, I hope, your mom's name as a cast word, right? I mean, you would just not do that. You honor her, you love her. And so, but you do that with God. I mean, people do that with God all the time. And so uh, anyway, so you can very easily show them that th there's something wrong. Uh, okay, so simple things. How do you start a conversation? Uh, you know, and there are many, many ways, tons of ways. Okay, first of all, you need to know I I'm a very shy person, very introvert, very shy. Anyways, one, one thing sure, I found yeah. out that's very helpful 
especially if you live in a foreign country, which is my case right now. I, I'm in Canada. I lived in the UK and I lived in multiple um, places. And so I would go to someone. Uh, so most of the time, you know, there are unbelievers that I run into on the streets. Uh, and I would ask them, okay, um, I come from France. And I'm just curious to know what people think about, uh, about God, about the Lord Jesus, about the Bible, something like that. And so just because I don't come from that particular place or country, usually right away, it's, it's, it's quite comfortable, a comfortable way to start a conversation because they will answer something to me. And usually it leads to a very pleasant conversation even if they can be completely against uh, religion, Christianity, all of that, we can have a conversation and then you can go from there. So that's something that I have found over the years very helpful, especially if you don't live in, in, in if you don't come from the country that you live in. Uh, okay, that's one. Another one, another one would be... Um, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? Mm. And so with that question, usually you can get to know very quickly uh, what is their worldview. If they believe in something, in religion, if they, you, you can very, very quickly find out what is their belief. So I think it's a helpful question many times. What you know, I, have a, I have a question. I got a question, bro. Okay, okay. Are you are you saying that we lead with this question or like this is in the midst of us like I'm not just going up to a person on the bench saying hey what happens when you die or are you saying that oh I, I do that you know and you yes. may not want to do that yeah. but you know yes. I, I, I do that <laughs> okay okay keep going bro keep, I'm I'm digging this I'm di yeah hey, I mean, I, I, yeah go bro I'm... anyways again these are not methods. Yeah, you know, by any means, uh, we're just sharing some some things based on our experience that is very limited, uh, and we are no experts uh, for sure. But but you know, every time we were able to have a conversation. Um, anyways, another one is, um, what do you think of the Bible? What do you think of the Bible? And so, and we should learn not to be uh, overly spiritual. In, in, in the way we respond, you know, if they ask us, well, you know, they say something and then they say, well, what do you think about it? And you say, well, I think this is, uh, this is the word of God. If, if you respond something like that, and the person is an unbeliever, most of the time, it will not be very helpful. But you can say something like, I think this book best describes the world that we live in. And then you go from there and, and you will see it opens a lot of doors. Uh, and so we should learn to try to be not too religious in the way we address things, the way we respond to people's questions. There is a way to be with believers um, and there's a way to be with unbelievers. And so maybe in our vocabulary, we need to be a little bit cautious and try out different ways to present something to them. Uh, so that the conversation is, 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 is sweet and, and, and then we can, yeah, go from there. Do, do you brothers have any, uh, any other uh, ways to start a conversation? 
Oh man, starting a combo—that's the hardest part. Once it once it, it gets going, then then uh, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing with like a, a prophecy in in a meeting or something. You just kind of like, how do I start this? Well, yeah. I enjoyed, you know, it, it, we don't, you know, it's always the awkward part. So as long as you can have a good icebreaker um, and whatever you're comfortable with, just to get the conversation going, even if it's not initially the thing that you end up talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of change lanes. I, actually, can I, can I go back to your country thing? I sure. actually wanted to, I wanted to share something about this because this helped me out a lot because I've lived in a few different places. Uh, I lived in Thailand for a little bit and I lived in Australia. And um, anyway, I, I found this to be very true. Uh, this is a verse that is pretty awesome. Zach, can you, can you uh, get this for me, bro? This is right. Matthew 13, 57. Mm-hmm. And they were not stumbled because of him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Right. Okay. So this is, this is really interesting. A lot of times, um, a lot of times people might have a problem with uh, the people in their own house, you know, like, like for instance, your parents uh, raised you. And all of a sudden now you're saved and they're not. And it's like, they remember who you were. This is the same with kind of like friends in the past, you know, like, let's say you have like a big turn to the Lord and then it's really hard to talk to them because it's like, dude, like we used to do this stuff together. You know, you think you're better than me, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, actually there is, there is a special uh, blessing that, that I, be, I fully believe in my experience happens when you go to another country. And it's very interesting. I think the reason the Lord blesses us when we do this is because he wants to go to the whole inhabited earth. And so I find, I find a lot of times it's, it's kind of hard for me to talk to Americans, you know, like it's not that hard, but I can, on one hand, it's positive because I can understand them and I get it. Okay. At the same time, I'm not that interesting, okay? But, but you know, when you go to another place, I don't really understand Germans, you know? I'm always trying to ask them questions and get to know them. But, but the thing is, like, I'm also kind of interesting because they want to know about me. And so that's a really good end to have, you know? I, we, this happened, we preached the gospel in Papua New Guinea, uh, a bunch of a bunch of friends and I, we were we were going through uh, these villages, and they were fascinated because we were just white. You know, they'd never seen a white person, and so, you know, all the little kids are like petting our arms because you know we have hair on our arm and like all this stuff. They'd never seen that before, but like they would listen to anything we have to say, you know, because we're in another country, man. And so this is this is actually I think a special blessing from the Lord. Also, a little tidbit of information that I think would be very helpful to a lot of people. Um, you know, when, when I first came into the church, uh, I grew I grew up as I grew up as a believer, and then I was really burdened for my my family and my parents to uh, to see the same thing as as what I was seeing. 
and they're they're all saved. Okay, I have no no question they're all saved, and and my wife's family is all saved too. But this brother shared this with me, and it was so it was so awesome. If you are burdened for your family, when when you get married, I was getting married, and he said actually. Katie is going to be the doorway to your parents and you are the doorway to her parents. And I was like, whatever, man. Like, I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know how many verses I know and all this stuff? What are you talking about? Okay. I'm not Zach. I'm, I'm telling you the truth, bro. Like my parents will hang on every word that my wife says, you know, we're at the dinner table and my wife just starts talking about, I really enjoy the Lord and all this stuff. And they're just like, you enjoy the Lord, you know? And they're, they're all like captivated. And then the moment I say something, because it's my house, you know, actually it's my dad's house, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's my household. Uh, by the way, this verse is the Lord getting denied in his own house. Okay. So not even God himself could penetrate this. This is kind of, what are you talking about? So, so this is the thing. This is the thing. Now I go to her house, my wife's house, and I'll, I'll have conversations with her family. And literally, I'm not joking. The moment my, my wife walks into the kitchen and I'm washing dishes with her dad, he's asking me all these questions. As soon as she walks in the kitchen, he changes the topic and starts talking about Kansas basketball. Okay. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, like what just happened? Okay. So this is the thing, if you, if this is maybe an encouragement that if you get other people involved with your family and your friends, this kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning, you need to get others involved. There needs to, there needs to be like new blood coming into the situation, you know, for them to, for them to open up. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out there, but keep on going, Guillaume. I'm feeling this. Well, Okay, this is really good. And I'm just going to throw this, this little bit in there. And that is that, um, you know, we were thinking about who are we most likely going to be speaking to with all these kinds of things. And yeah, there will be, you know, going out and speaking to people and a kind of active preaching the gospel. But for a lot of us, this may actually come with existing relationships or with friends that we make. And so... In that case, it's really important to have a long-term kind of view because the strength of your, if, if they trust you, if you have a good relationship, um, that, that goes a long way. And so in helping to, as we were saying before, to shepherd their mind so that their mind will be open when you speak concerning the truth. There's nothing wrong with the truth. The truth is absolute. The truth is perfect. The truth is awesome. The problem most of the time is how we present it. And then also they, people may have various obstacles. So having a long-term view and even a view of developing relationships and friendships with people is really, really helpful um, as we're presenting all these things. Okay. So I think we're going to start talking about different kinds of people now, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. That was yeah. a good segue. Bro. <laughs> 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 and now we're going to start talking about different kinds of people. 
Yeah. Okay. Amen. No, but this is good. Yeah. You know, um, we should not have most likely, you know, this, this, this goal when we talk to somebody that they would receive the Lord in that one conversation. Um, it's, it's very much a long term thing. We want them to be very comfortable with us. And um, anyways, it, it, take, it takes time and that's fine. That's just the way life is. And does it, wouldn't you say that really applies, especially to like, I find it really applies to people, to Europeans because sure. of background and culture and all this other stuff, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, if you, as soon as you start talking to them about the Lord, they can immediately turn off because of the hundreds and hundreds of years of history with Christianity. They just don't want to hear it. So mm -hmm. like, they need to be able to trust you. Yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, yeah. So we should not be yeah disappoint disappointed if things are slow, it's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay. Um, and actually, many times, you know, people, and we'll come to that later, they have a problem, not necessarily with Christianity and, and, and the beliefs there, but with Christians, uh, the way they behave. Um, and so if they, they trust us, if we can build up that relationship with them, and they see that we live in a way that corresponds to our words or even if we don't mention anything from the word uh you will have a you will have entryway you will have an opportunity at some point for them to um receive the gospel definitely um and actually you know we should we should be reminded that um that most of the time the problem doesn't reside with like uh evidential uh opposition to the gospel but it's more a matter of like the political, social, cultural belief of a person. Mm. And so when you talk to somebody, you have to try to help them separate the two. Uh, because many times, because of your political views or cultural beliefs, you, uh, it, it, it taints, it affects the way you, you, you perceive what's in the Bible or what, 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 what the gospel is. And we really want to try to help them separate the two so that they can see the evidence for themselves and make a decision solely based on what we present to them as the gospel, as what's, what is the truth. So it's kind of important because you have to know that they will, they will, they will blend the two together. Uh, they will have a hard time disassociating their cultural, religious, political views with evidential things you can provide them with to, um, to believe. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we can, bro, I, I really hope everybody just got what you just said about separating the two, because that's very important. Can we talk about an aggressive atheist? And, and basically, if I am, uh, uh, actually, agnostics aren't really that aggressive. They're just, they're kind of like, like wimpy fish, you know, like an agnostic is like, oh, well, I, you know, you can believe what you believe. I mean, it's okay, whatever, you know, that's kind of the agnostic type of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, with, with an aggressive atheist, uh, would you, Guillaume, I'm wondering, uh, would you consider yourself past life this is bc uh guillaume would, would you consider yourself an aggressive atheist or were you just kind of like a intellectual or what 
I was not an aggressive uh, atheist. Uh, actually, I, I, I'm a, I was a very simple case, uh, very, um, okay, I was critical in the way that, you know, we are raised in France to whatever you hear, whatever someone claims, you have to, you have to refute that. You have to find ways to refute what they're saying. And if your rebuttal, if what you have to say against it doesn't hold, then maybe you can accept what's being said. So, so you have this attitude that you, you hear something, you go against it. And if you're going against it doesn't stand, then perhaps you can receive what's being said. So this is kind of the attitude that we grew up with. Um, and so when someone shared the gospel with me, um, I would just go check, right? Is, is, this, is this so? Like the Bereans we were mentioning a little bit earlier. Uh, but I was not aggressive. I was not, I was not trying to poke uh, in what was being presented to me. I was not being um, challenging, but some people are. Some people are. For example, something that very, very commonly um, is, um, is mentioned is you can't rely the Bible. And they say that for many reasons, right? Um, okay, first, I want to say that there's a book. There are many books, but there's one that's quite helpful that, ha that has helped me a lot. It's from F.F. Bruce. F.F. Bruce. It's called The New Testament's Documents. Are they reliable? So if you're, yeah, you, you may want to get to that book uh, at some point, it's quite helpful. What people will say that have studied the matter a little bit and that they will wanna try to see if, if you know uh, these, these matters, they will say that in, in the manuscripts, there are many, many differences, a ton of differences. Actually, there are more differences than there are words in the New Testament. So there's, there are a lot of differences. Okay, first you need to know that even though that's absolutely true, none of these differences affect what we believe in. It doesn't affect God's being, Jesus Christ, salvation, the cross. It doesn't change anything that we believe in. But there are differences. And these differences are actually, um, it's not a problem for two reasons. First of all, we have a lot of manuscripts. So we can put them together and see uh, what was there originally with the original manuscripts that we do not have today. So you can compare things and see what went wrong over time. It, it, it's just scientific even. It's not very complicated to do, it just takes time. But you can go back to what was the text at the origin. And what we have today is just that. Okay, one big thing that may be helpful to you to realize is that having different accounts, it's normal. We have four gospels, for example, and they talk about similar stories many times, but some, some, some elements are different. For example, when Peter follows the Lord, when they captured him and bring him to the high priest, there's this little girl that goes and talks to Peter. Sometimes it's the maid. Sometimes it's they talk to Peter. There are differences in the account. And so if you read them all side by side, you may wonder, well, how come it's not consistent? 
it's very important that it is not consistent. Yeah. Okay, why? When you see something, if Trevor, Nathaniel, David, Zach, and I, we see something and we recount what we saw to somebody, we will have five different versions of what happened. And we will not all say the same things. When there's a crime scene and you have eyewitnesses, the detectives, what they will do is they will separate the eyewitnesses so that they don't talk to each other. Otherwise, they will come up with the same story, the same version, and you do not want that to know what really happened. You need to have these differences in, in the perception, in the views. It's yeah. very important to know what actually happened, what actually went down. So we should not be afraid of the differences we should embrace them. Actually, if all the accounts in the Gospels were the same, you would surely say this is a collusion. This is fake. They all got together. They all agreed on one thing. This cannot be. This is not how life is. So we should not be disturbed by the fact that there are differences. And these differences are not contradictions. They're just merely differences. Anyways, that's one thing that an aggressive atheist that studied the matter will bring up and you can maybe reply something like that. Yeah, I think really good. I think this really quickly, because we have a lot of info to go over, but really quickly on the differences aspect. So I was, I was a religious studies major and I was in a lot of Christian courses where the professor's goal was to rip away your faith. It was not to actually give you faith. Mm -hmm. And he made that very known the first day of class. Um, okay. The interesting thing, they would always do this. They would always compare the different gospels and they'd say, Oh, look, they contradict each other. Oh, look, you know, like, it's so stupid. I can't believe people believe this. Um, and then I would always, I, I would be stumbled by that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know you can actually help Christians with this also, because this does, this does stumble Christians also. Um, and what Guillaume said, I wish somebody had said to me uh, as soon as I was leaving class. But um, actually, another thing that is, I, I sat down with someone and had an appointment about this. And they pointed out the fact that you have to understand the theme of every gospel. And they are showing different aspects of the Lord. So, for instance, if you take the mountain of transfiguration, um, it's only in Mark, Luke, and Matthew. It's not in John. Why? Uh, did John just have amnesia and he forgot? Did, uh, you know, like, is he, you know, are we going back to the layman, uneducated fisherman? He didn't remember, you know, all these things. No, it's the fact that God doesn't need to be transformed. So a king, a slave, and a man do. And so these, these are, there's actual, there's actual very, very legitimate things behind some of the differences and so a lot of times contradictions in the word of god are actually just god's wisdom patiently waiting to be revealed to you okay mm -hmm. so you have to be patient you have to be open and a lot of times those contradictions that you think are there will actually reveal something incredible about god and so anyway that's that's like a little side topic about the you know contradictions Mm -hmm. um how about how about uh nathaniel do you have anything on that or should we keep going 
Uh, yeah, just super quickly. Yeah. I remember when I first started to get into this because um, I think it was because I had some classmates who were really aggressive atheists. And I, there's this, even this term is called a new atheist. And they, um, you know, it was this big movement back, you know, it was probably about a decade ago that they were so that they kind of started to manifest themselves. And, and um, I was kind of, I mean, no, I was stumbled by it because I hadn't really ever considered any of the questions that they brought up. So I had to look into it. And I, I thankfully there were some brothers who were, who I was with, who, who gave me some recommendations, but um, this point about textual criticism, which um, is what Guillaume was referring to when you put all the manuscripts on top of each other, mm-hmm. you can see the original. This is very scientific. And they do this with all kinds of ancient manuscripts, not just the Bible. And so uh, it's, it's important to realize that this is a very valid scientific form of inquiry. And so, um, but, but I think a lot of Christians have in the back of their mind, this kind of latent concept about the transmission, we call it the transmission of the Bible how it was transmitted to us. You know, the Bible was written over 1800 years by 40 different people. And I think a lot of times there's this thought that it's sort of like God gave this scripture to us kind of perfectly transmitted, you know, and maybe there's just one version of the Bible that you should read and that's it. Um, I think a lot of people may have that kind of thought. And so then when they hear stuff, like there are variations in the text, there's more variations than words, you know, that either they'll say, well, that's just completely not true, or they'll kind of get stumbled by it. But uh, one thing that I appreciate so much about this is it actually points to the divine human nature of Christ himself. You know, in Isaiah 53, he's, he's, he's referred to as um, uh, a man of sorrows who has no attracting former majesty that we should look upon him. Mm-hmm. So that's how he was on the earth. There was nothing about him that was attractive outwardly, Okay. It says his visage was marred more than that of any other man. So that's how he came to people. What was attractive was, was, it's not like he just came in this divine form and everybody was attracted to him. What was attractive was that you had God in a man. You had divinity with humanity. And the thing is, you see the same thing with the scripture. On the one hand, you have to say that for a book that was written by over 1,800 years by 40 people to have such consistency is just, I don't know, I mean, that's God. Yet, there are textual variations. So, you see, there's this divine human character in the transmission of the word, in the word itself, that to me, it doesn't in any way 
take away from the authority of the Bible. To me, it actually enhances so much more. This is something, you know, we'll talk later about other kind of uh, religious uh, traditions, but a lot of other religious traditions, they have this, they take pride in, in this thought that, you know, they've just taken, uh, they've received their scripture right directly from the hands of God. Actually, I don't have that much confidence in that because that's not who my Lord is. Yes, he's God, but he's also a man. And I just love the fact that the Bible expresses that character as well. Okay. So, sorry, Gil. I think we need to talk about, there are some other questions that people have. Yeah. Yeah. And so just very quick on Trevor's question about, you know, aggressive, um, aggressive people. Um, and this is very common sense, obviously. Uh, like the tone of your voice is important. Uh, your choice of words is, is important. And also you have to be aware of some of the techniques that people use, but we don't want to enter into too much details, but you just have to be socially aware of what people use to, um, to, to disturb you. Uh, so usually in English, the people would say, okay, so you're saying that, da, 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 and they oversimplify what you just said or what you might be thinking. And so don't be, don't be disturbed by all of these things. And you just have to know that they're emotional. And most of the time, uh, they are not, so they're not rational. They don't dispute necessarily what you're saying, but they have feelings about what you stand for. And so don't confuse the two. Uh, most of the time, they do not appreciate Christians. And so this is why they are the way they are with you. Um, and so it's not rational, it's emotional. And so sometimes, you know, they would say, why should we put up with your worldview about this matter, that matter, believing that, you know, in the Western world, especially we, um, we abide by Christian values. And so just the question, why should we put up with implies there is something to put up with that you're putting a burden on somebody which is absolutely not the case so in the way they construct sentences you just have to be aware that they use tactics to to disturb you uh, one very common one i will finish with that is the assuming the sale tactic for example you go to a shop you just want to see the latest iphone okay you, you just want to see how it looks like and the design of it whatever. And the person comes to you and says, do you want that with the protection cover and the 10 year warranty? Okay, just by doing that, now is placing in you a burden. And now you feel bad if you don't buy that item, because is assuming the sale. And so they will talk to you and add things to what you just said, for example, to make you feel bad, like you have to defend something. And if you don't, then you're letting them down or it's just negative. It appears negative. Don't fall for any of these things. But again, this is not a training to be a, a socially experts are responding to people, but just know that they have tactics that they use uh, to disturb you 
in in speaking with you yeah hey guillaume actually maybe you should just keep going but i'm wondering what we say to people who who basically uh have the accusation that suffering proves that there is no god wow yeah yeah or even or even that there's a loving god you know, like if he's loving, then why is he making us suffer? Just something along that line, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th this is this is this is one of the biggest um, question that comes again and again. Um, and so, okay, let's let's assume someone uh, just lost someone that they love. It's it's a terrible loss. It's it's very painful, and we all you know, in our human lives, we all go through these heartbreaking situations. And so you may run into somebody that just lost someone and just then have, they have the question, like, why would God allow such a thing to happen? If God is good and God is loving, why is there so much suffering? And so usually, usually, they don't need a, an, an intellectual response to that. Uh, not even an emotional response. Uh, you know, or, you know, I feel for your loss. And, but you can maybe help them by asking the following question. Um, okay, so God is love. Or if you were to live in a world, would you want this world to have love in it? that love would be actually the main characteristic of, of it. Do you want love? And so, and people will say, yes, love is wonderful. Love is a wonderful attribute of God. I mean, this is what we say. We want love. Okay, but if you want love, you need to realize that you cannot have love without giving humans, people, a free will. Otherwise, love is not possible. If I, if I code an application on my phone that just says, I, I love you, Guillaume, that's not love at all, okay? This is, this is not love. So you have to be able to freely give that love for it to be love, okay? So free will is involved. If free will is involved, that means hatred also has to be there. Many feelings have to be there. And so if hatred is there, then violence will be there as a consequence. And, and terrible things will happen as a consequence. But it's only because there's love and free will that there is all of these things. You cannot have one without the other. They go together. Okay. So, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, we believe in eternity. When we receive the Lord, we receive eternal life. Okay. Eternity has no end. Okay. It's, it's eternity. And so we view things in the span of a lifetime that is very limited. And so if something bad happens to me, I suffer in some way. That's in my lifespan. But as we go toward eternity that has no end, 
what happened to me in my lifetime in comparison to eternity shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. It becomes like a little speck in the lines in the line of eternity. And so, so it becomes not significant. And we know that all things work together for our good, you know, for those who believe, for those who are called according to God. And so we go through things because God has a purpose. And God wants us to perhaps learn something, to be delivered from something for many reasons. And many times we don't know what it is. But that's, that's the point. The point is you cannot have love without free will. And if you have free will, you have all these negative things that go with it because of sin, because of the fall of man. And then in time, things happen to us. They do. But in comparison to eternity, it really doesn't mean much. Even though today, as we are confined with space, time, and matter, it seems like a big deal. But in the view of eternity, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I got, I got, a, I got another one. I mean, that was, I don't even think there's any reason to add to that. Uh, Nathaniel, you got anything? Cause I was going to go on. I think this is good. Okay. So basically the, one of the <laughs> next ones we have is religion causes most wars. Okay. So this is this is the common one that that not I don't know I don't know when I say common it, it really depends on how often you go out and how many people you talk to, but basically I have I have a short story about this one and, and you guys can add to it. Um, so I was I was serving at the University of Texas. There was a student living in the dorm. He uh, he was getting in debates with his roommate who was an atheist that uh, this exact thing that. Well, actually, I think, I don't even know if this came up, but uh, they were just getting in a lot of arguments and debates, which I don't really, uh, yeah, that's not very effective. And so he really wanted me to come to the dorm and like talk to his, talk to his dorm rate, his dorm mate. And I was just like, bro, it's not going to work. Like, he's going to know why I'm there. He's going to like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's corny, man. It's like this old guy walks in the room and it's like, Oh, let me teach you something 18 year old. So um, it, it kind of sounded like a setup and I wasn't really feeling it, but he, he begged me. And so I finally went one day and I had actually like, no, I, I had no hope based on the stuff that he had already told me. So I come in and I sit down and I just start talking to him about, you know, all that small talk we talked about in past dive sessions. Oh, what's your major? You know, where are you from? Uh, you know, oh, that's so cool. You know, okay. And then, and then uh, I just kind of brought up, well, you know, like, I don't know, I think I, I forgot the guy, the kid's name. <laughs> but I, I said, you know, like Derek, you know, Derek uh, told me that you guys have been kind of talking about God. And so through the conversation, this exact thing comes up. And, and he goes, yeah, I just can't believe some, something that, you know, has caused so many wars and killed hundreds of thousands of people. And then uh, I think I came back with like, actually it's millions, but um, what you really need, I, what I asked him was this, what the bottom line is the principle of this story. I'm not going to say it's going to work as well as this did. Okay. The principle of this is I basically asked him, 
Is that the excuse you're going to say when you meet God? Okay. And I'm, oh yeah, like I couldn't believe because millions of people died in, in the name of you. Do you really think that's going to work? Because actually what happened in the crusades and everything, everything that's happened before you doesn't apply to you at all. And so this was, this was basically eliminating this idea that's actually ridiculous. Okay. To, to use this as a basis for belief is ridiculous. Uh, obviously Christianity does not have a perfect track record, obviously. Um, so uh, anyway, just so you know, the end of the story, he, he kind of, he was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And he's like, well, how do I believe then? And then we prayed to receive the Lord and it was really great. And, and so I'm not saying that you should expect that, but, but the fact of the matter is this is, this is an erroneous belief or, or excuse really that they, they couldn't, they can't even, there's no ground for it. There's no ground. So you have to eliminate that concept from their brain uh i don't know if you guys want to add to it mm -hmm. go ahead yeah you know with this matter of excuses there's also the the very common thing and which is unfortunately quite true oftentimes is that i i don't want to believe in uh in christianity let's be uh broad because of christians because they're hypocrites they say something but they live a different way uh okay again before the lord like this this will be your excuse uh I, I did not receive eternal life because of pretenders because of hypocrites doesn't make any sense um and so many times you know and this is something that apologists do all the time uh and maybe we can name a few at the end uh but basically they always ask people like how did you come to that conclusion how did you come to that conclusion so that you have to speak things, you have to voice it out, you have to say it out loud. And most of the time when you say it out loud, you realize this, this is not serious. This, this is not a valid point. This is not rational. And so anyways, just a little tip of you know, how you can have um, yeah, conversations. But regarding wars, just, just, to be, um, just to give you some numbers, and the study is a little bit old. It's from 2004. So it's not the most recent one. Uh, but in 2004, there was a study done on that particular matter, on the matter of wars that were triggered by religion. And so there, are, there have been over 1,700 wars in world history. And 93%, 93 were not based on religion less than 7% were. Out of the 7%, over half were over uh, Islam and the rest were for other religions. So that statement that, you know, religion is the cause of wars and everything, this is not factually correct. Okay, but that's just one, one side of things. Um, there are verses in the Bible uh, and maybe, do we have the time to go through one, one or two of these verses, perhaps? Uh, in, in Mark 7, for example, that basically explained that these things, they don't come from religion, the wars. They come from the heart of men. It's just that simple. Uh, 
Uh, the verses are uh, Mark 7, 21 through 23. Um, and so maybe, maybe Zach, if you're still okay, could you uh, read these verses for us, please? Amen. Uh, <clears throat> for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil reasonings, fornications, thefts, murders, adulter adulteries, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, foolishness. All these wicked things proceed from within and defile the man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are just, you know, simple verses that we can use to just show that, you know, this is not a valid argument that wars are caused by religion and by Christianity specifically. This is just simply not the case. Uh, James 4 Verses one and two also are very helpful. Uh, they, they basically speak about the same thing. Uh, yeah. Where do wars and fightings among you come from? That's a question. Uh, they're not from this, from your pleasures that war in your members. You lust and you do not have. You murder and are jealous and are not able to obtain. You fight and make war. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, so these are just verses that we can use when someone says that, you know, I don't believe because there are so many wars because of Christianity. It is just not the case, and it just simply comes from the fall of man, what's, what's in our heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are good, bro. I didn't know those verses. Yeah. We I think it also... It's so, hey, go really ahead, quick. Just that um, I, I really like what y'all brought out because a lot of times people will kind of throw up a, a bit of a smoke screen and, and what you've described is you're making it personal to them again. Because in the long run, what matters, what we're talking about is them. We're talking about you, me, myself, how... Do, how am I going to relate to the God of the universe? And these things like religion or, you know, if somebody themselves have gone through suffering, that's one thing. But if their basic thing is like, well, why do good people suffer? Why do babies um, get leukemia? Well, yeah, that's horrible. But that doesn't relate specifically to how you mm -hmm. um, relate to God and that's mm -hmm. the question that we yeah. that we need to answer um, so it's like you're trying to get to the person we're trying to always come back to the person not not kind of sometimes it's a bit of a trap where you you like you might debate you might start debating concepts and ideas and it might even be kind of be intellectually satisfying, but the danger is that you 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 start to miss the person themselves, and you start to yeah. yeah. So I um, wonder if we can. You got anything, bro? No, that's it. Okay, I'm I'm wondering if we could move on to science stuff because this is obviously a huge 
a huge one. Every everybody who has their cameras on just started getting out their pens. They're like, oh yeah, science. Okay, so um, let's go with let's go with science oriented things. And uh, this is obviously a big one. Obviously, um, I think I think a big thing is that science. The idea is at least taught is that science is at at war with the bible in fact they they're against each other and i've i found uh honestly one of the one of the main kind of tactics that i've used is is there is no there is no uh contradiction or war between these two things actually they can be very harmoniously put together and i'm not against science this is something that a lot of atheists have like never heard they think if if you're a Christian, then you automatically hate science. Okay. Um, at least those are the ones that I'm just speaking from my experience. So one of the, one of the best ways I feel like to diffuse them is to just, you can bring up the, well, actually we hit some of these in the dive session, but you could bring up the gap theory. You can bring up things that, you know, actually the Bible allows for millions of years to exist in between Genesis one, one and one, two. And if you want to put Neanderthals and, and, and dinosaurs and all this stuff in that little gap, I have no problem with that. Um, and, then, and then to bring them out of this idea of asking the wrong question, okay? So the wrong question with science is why do I exist, okay? Which is what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows me why I exist. The, the wrong question with the Bible in a sense, is how do I exist? Okay, which is what we need to go with science. We need to go to science to, to start seeing how we exist. Okay, so when you mix those two questions up, you, you really cross a, uh, you're just, you're crossing wires and it doesn't work. And so um, anyway, Guillaume, what would, you, what would you say when you start hitting science uh, related people in this area? Oh, amen. Yeah, it's a vast um, subject. Uh, okay, maybe maybe we can try to define some terms here first. Uh, we can try to define what is an objective truth claim and a subjective truth claim. Because I think, I think this is fundamental um, to understand this whole matter of science and how to respond to some of the basic questions. When someone makes a subjective truth claim, that means that the claim that they're making resides in the subject, the person making that claim. So basically, it's an opinion. Okay. An objective truth claim, the truth resides in the object of which we're making the claim. And so this is not a matter of opinion. A, a simple example is, you know, this, this Bible cover is, is red, okay? This is objective. If I said this Bible cover is black, it could be subjective as a claim, but it's not objective because that's just not the case. My opinion does not matter. It doesn't change an, object, an objective truth claim. Okay, in the church life, we use subjective a lot. And, and, and it's wonderful. Uh, and so it's a different definition though. Subjective to us means that the objective truth, we have entered into it, that we are 
experiencing it and it's becoming a reality and we ex now we now express it we manifest it okay that's subjective but that's not the understanding most people have of subjective truth it's different subjective truth to most people it's it's an opinion and we have to be able to distinguish between the two because um, most of the time, those using science to try to say something against Christianity, they make self-refuting statements, self-refuting arguments. So one would be to say uh, that there is no objective truth, okay? It's just a matter of opinion. There's no such thing as objective truth. My truth is different from yours based on my education, my cultural bringing, all of these things. Okay. And we have to, we have to listen to people. Um, if you say that, it, it's a self-refuting statement because if this is true, that means there's at least one objective truth, the statement you just made. So your statement collapses. It doesn't stand, right? You understand the fallacy here? And, and this happens all the time. Uh, and so I wish we would have this attitude of like paying attention to the words that people use because most of the time it, it's not rational. It doesn't make any sense. Um, anyways, you know, in regards to the truth, like our spirit is life because of righteousness. I mean, this is an awesome, awesome statement. And I, I wish we could spend some time to, understand what that means it's awesome so this 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 kind of intellectual thing it's it's important because it will help you enjoy the lord a lot more um exercise in the proper way and it will help you speak to people um definitely okay second claim okay so you've established that objective truth exists and so they will say, okay, it's very arrogant of you, believers, to say that you have that truth, that you know it. Okay? So that's the, that's the other statement that you, they usually make. And they will say that truth cannot be known. Again, it's a self-refuting statement. If you say that truth cannot be known, okay, how do you know that? Is that so? If it is then you know it, right? So that's, that defeats again, that argument. And so I just want you to understand that many times when they speak something, it just, it just doesn't stand, yeah. you know, it's empty. Anyways, um, yeah, what else can we it's say? like a paper tiger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the tiger's there, it looks really fierce, and then you poke it, and it's like, <laughs> it's paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, if you use evolution as a way to describe, you know, who we are, where we came from, all of these things, you know, this is just, I mean, you just need to think about it a little bit. Uh, it's just not logical. It's not, I mean, I'm, I'm a scientist, okay? I, I'm an engineer, I'm a scientist. And if you were to, again, you have to ask people the question, how did you come to that conclusion? Because if they have to explain it, usually, 
They have nothing to say. They, they don't have much to say. They heard something and they just re-speak it, but they don't have anything substantial to say about it. If we come from evolution, how do you have moral laws? It seems that we all agree on what is evil, what, what, what's terrible, okay? And this cannot be just a matter of opinion. And it cannot be just a product, a product of evolution. Otherwise, it, it can change over time. Evolution is a, it's, it's a process, always progressing, right? Supposed to be. And so that means that the moral values, they, they always change over time. But that's not the case. What's evil is evil. And, and, and all men would agree to that. So anyways, I don't want to enter into all the details of it. There's a lot to say. But basically, you just have to realize that many times when they say something, it's self-refuting. Um, if you want to explain that the universe was made by uh, you know the big bang and then before that what was there so we always have these questions you know okay god created everything to us god is the creator he's elohim okay and so they would ask us who created god then okay it's a it's a funny question because to us god is the uncreated creator and so you're asking who created the uncreated creator. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, God exists, period. He's the I am. Okay, now if scientifically you want to explain how the whole thing came about, you want to use a multiverse generator uh, theory, you want to use quantum physics, a quantum vacuum, you want to use all of these things. Okay, so what was there before that? And eventually, they all have to agree something was there eternally. You don't have something that comes out of nothing. And so even if you push the argument with them a little bit more, you realize that they will have to say, okay, something eternal has to be there. And that something eternal, that uncaused cause, is either personal or impersonal. Okay, to us, it's a personal cause. It's a being. It's God. It's this wonderful triune God. For those who do not believe, it's something impersonal. Okay. And so if you hold that view, then we have some questions for you. Eight of them. What is the origin of the universe? And that with science, you can try to come up with something. How come the universe is fine-tuned? to allow the existence of life. What is the origin of life? How do you go from non-life to life? How do you explain that with science? How come there is, it seems to be that there's a design in life, in, in the plant life, in the animal life, in the human life, there's, there's a design behind it. How do you explain that? There's consciousness in human beings how do you explain that with science? And there is the matter of our free will and the matter of morality. It seems to be that there are some objective transcendent truth. And there is a standard of righteousness by which we measure things to call things evil, for example. You have to have a, a measure that's, that's understood by all 
to say that this thing is evil. Okay, where do you get that measure? There is a moral lawgiver that gives you that sense of what is evil. So with science, you can maybe try to come up with an explanation to the origin of the universe, even though if you push it, you will have to admit something was there eternally. But then these questions are about the conscience, the moral law, and the standard of righteousness that we use, you just cannot explain it with science. And one thing I will end with that is just DNA. Okay, look at our DNA. This is, this is marvelous. It's, it's just information, coding for a genome, explaining how we function as human beings. Okay, you do not get information out of nothing. Never. These, these words on that page, they, they just don't appear on the page. Someone placed them there. If I go and uh, take a walk in the forest and I see on a tree G plus A equals heart, so Guillaume and Alicia, my wife, they love each other, I will not assume that after a long process of evolution on that trunk of that tree, that inscription appeared. I will just assume someone did that. And so we need to help these unbelievers go from what created things to who created things. When you see information, you have to ask yourself, who did this? So DNA, information, who designed this? Not what designed this, who designed this? Anyways, there's a lot to say and yeah. maybe I'm speaking too much. No, bro, I don't think so at all. I think, I think you're cooking with fire. Actually, can we, uh, yes. so for me, for me, Guillaume, I wasn't, I wasn't really a science person um, and growing up, I, I'm still not, you know, like anyway. a lot of my struggles with God, even though I grew up in a Christian family, a lot of my struggles with God were like moral problems. You know, is he righteous? Is he loving? I would see so many things. My, my proof wasn't scientific numbers. My proof was looking at the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's kind of this like roundabout argument where like, okay, um, if, if he's right, or sorry, if he's loving, then, then he would actually care enough to, to help everyone, which means that he's not, which also means that he's not righteous. And then I would just kind of like, just kind of do this like roundabout circle, you know, I, it's like a marable round argument. Um, okay, so I'm wondering if we could get into some of these questions, you know, because one of the big ones, one of the big ones, you know, like, I'll, I'll go out in public a lot. And, and one of the one of the things that I think people use most of the time, like even if they're science minded, I think this comes out of their mouth first because they just want to kind of end the end the conversation. So they'll just be like, oh, I just think you should be a good person and I'm a good person. So, you know, that's that's basically it, you know. And so I'm wondering if we can tap into this kind of, uh, again, an excuse. But, um, you know, what do you say to someone who is who's just thinks they're good and that's all you have to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, in France, I, I get that question all the time. Um, I don't know about you, but and so, uh, yeah, it's a matter of saying, you know, if God is good, 
God is good. God is loving. He's kind. And so he will just honor the fact that I'm, I'm good. Uh, I, I live the best way possible. I'm, uh, I'm sincere in the way I do things, uh, the way I conduct myself, the way I take care of others. Uh, so my sincerity will be accepted by God. Okay, here, here, here there's a problem. Um, there's a problem. Okay, again, I'm, I'm in the forest. You know, I'm walking around and uh, I see a mushroom there by the tree where there were these uh, inscriptions. And I'm picking up that mushroom and I, uh, I offer it to you to, to eat. I say, yeah, go ahead. It. You know, it's edible. Or we cook it and then you eat it. Uh, it just turns out that this thing is deadly. Okay, it's not a edible mushroom, but I sincerely thought it was a good one. Okay, I had a good heart. I sincerely thought this would be good for you, so I gave it to you. But now you died. Okay, here there's a problem. My sincerity, it just doesn't hold. Okay. Um, another example is, um, and I heard that from a Christian uh, apologist named uh, what's his name. Jimmy Wallace, I think. Anyways, he's giving this example where he's driving a car and they go to visit a friend in some neighborhood. And so they are the green light and they make a left turn, but they were supposed to go right, okay? So they went left. Eventually they go to this residential area, they park the car and there's like that number 24 in front of the door. And it's the same number that the person we actually visiting should be under number 24, but yeah. in a different street because we made the wrong turn. And so do you think that the person that will respond to that door on the wrong neighborhood will be the person that we're trying to visit? Because you sincerely thought that we should make a left turn. The answer is obviously no this will not be the right person, right? So you sincerely thought that this was good, but it doesn't make any difference. It's, it's not the way you should measure things, okay? There's a different standard. And, you know, okay, one thing I, I, I say sometimes, not on the streets, obviously, because I don't necessarily have this with me, uh, but this is the Bible, you know, this is the Bible. It's a pretty thick book, okay? It's, it's pretty, uh, it's dense, Okay, you have 66 books, 1,189 chapters, over 31,000 verses. And you think that this book only talks about sin, Christ, and heaven. This is what mo most people will tell me. Well, no. I mean, look at this book. There's a lot of things in there. Okay, this is God's word for us. And so you think that being, uh, being good is enough. Please think again, okay? In this thing, you have God's word, and this is what you should be using to measure, you know, all the things that you do. You may not say that to them, obviously, but being good is, is not going to work. Yeah. Is that helpful in some way? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Actually, and, uh, to add to this, one of, the, one of the things that I always kind of point out is good is the most relative statement in the universe, um, my good mm -hmm. is different than your good. Yeah. And so again, as, as a religious studies major, you can actually define every single religion on the earth, uh, boiled down in two things, good and bad. I don't care what the religion is. This is good. This is bad. And it becomes like the moral law of that belief system. 
um, Christianity, if done correctly, according to the word, um, is the only one, okay, out of every religion on the planet, it's the only one that asks you to live by another life. Mm-hmm. This, this is just a completely foreign concept to everybody, okay? Like, Muslims are not asking you to do this. Uh, you know, Hindus, Buddhists, they're not asking you to live another life, okay? Because it automatically implies, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, actually, you have to be born again. That's the whole purpose, you know? And so the thing is, the thing is, if, and I'm not saying that Christians don't, don't uh, live by right and wrong, okay? Uh, because oftentimes we do, we can live very religiously. And, and the thing is, every single religion, if you trace it back, it all goes to the wrong tree, the knowledge of good and evil, okay? So every single religion on the planet is on the wrong tree, And the only one, again, if done correctly, the only one that's on the other tree, the tree of life, is the proper way of living Christ, okay? And so this is, this is a whole nother, you know, I'll bring up these things and I'll, I'll, I'll say to the person like, you know, ISIS thinks it's good to run around and blow themselves up and kill people. They think that's good, you know? My, my good is not your good. And so I'll use extreme state, I'll use extreme examples, you know, but it makes the point to the person that actually I need to reevaluate what is good, you know, um, even, even in today's society and culture, the politics right now, everything, everybody thinks they're good. No matter what belief system it is, they think theirs is good, you know, and so you can point out these things and how flawed the whole thing is. It's not good. How do you know what good is? Okay. So anyway, this is this is just another thing. How about how about uh, Nathaniel? Have you ever hit the whole like? Oh man, I got one. I got one. This is ooh. Okay. God. God is not loving if he in the Bible he kills people. You know, I mean, how loving is that? He'll just. Like sons of Korah, he just opens up the earth and they get swallowed and they go down to Sheol alive. You know, they might not know all those details, but what do you, what's, what's a, what's an example, you know, uh, or, or an example of something to say to this accusation? God is not loving. Mm. Okay. Well, um, God is, okay, from the standpoint of the Bible, God is love. Uh, I would, I would say, you know, and and I think a lot of people do feel stumbled when actually I ran into a guy recently who told me he wasn't, he really didn't want to go any further down the Christian route because he was reading the Old Testament and felt there was too much violence in there. Um, and, uh, I think basically this, uh, is, is due to a misconception that people have about who God is. Um, I I don't, I, I don't think we can, uh, assign to God or basically that question to me 
indicates um, that we are we feel like we can compare ourselves and our um, our virtues, our righteousness to God's. So in a sense, we're kind of putting, we're trying to put God on trial. Uh, how can you, how can you say that God is, is, is righteous? It, actually, they say, how can you say God is loving? But there's another aspect here. And that is God is not only loving, but he is righteous. And uh, his righteousness and his love are in perfect harmony with one another. In fact, righteousness is the foundation of his throne. And so God must act righteously. Mm -hmm. And because he acts righteously, actually his love is sure. His love is not fickle. And uh, so this has a lot of implication for us for our our um, our redemption. So personally, I wouldn't, and, and you all may have a different approach to this, but when I've been asked this question, I I don't really entertain it as as a question that 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 someone should really ask. Um, because in a sense, who am I to judge God? Yeah, I'm not eternal. I can't see everything that has ever happened throughout time and space and in eternity past and eternity future. Um, why God would allow some people to die and why he would uh, order some people to be killed. Uh, I leave that with, I leave that with God. So that's just, but I, yeah. <clears throat> Y'all may have uh, y'all have more to add on this point. Okay, I, I have I have a little point here that I I like to point out. That question is incredibly flawed in the first place. So going along with exactly what what you said, um, so there are different rules that apply to the creator than to a creature. And basically, the way the way I've uh, kind of researched it. Oh, my, my daughter's crying. Anyway, life. Okay, I cannot create life, okay? I can make life. If I, if I create life, I have, as, as the creator, I have the, the ability to take life, okay? So this is, this is why the, the term that, that people use is this is anthropomorphizing God, okay? I'm going to say that word again. It's anthropomorphizing God. And basically you are putting um, certain attributes and certain rules on God that only apply to you as a creature. Mm -hmm. So for you to say, and to make the accusation that, okay, God can't kill people. Um, you're already, you're already, you just fell down a black hole. Okay. Because God can do anything he wants. I'm totally going with what Nathaniel just said. He's righteous. And if you do something, he can righteously do whatever he wants. 
And you as a creature are not able to do those things. And as the creator, he can tell you that you can't do those things. So this is, this is kind of the, uh, this is the error that people make when they, they try to do these accusations. Anthropomorphism. Now, okay, Guillaume, do you have anything more on this? I have one little thing to add. Okay, go ahead. Do you have, do you have anything more, though? Or do you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's okay. There's a lot to say, and I realized we have some other things that we, sure. we'd like to cover. But So go ahead, go ahead, please. Well, just, just a brief little, little thing, and that is that um, this question comes out of something. It comes out of a certain root that actually exists in every single human being. And that is in every single human being, because we are fallen, we have, there is a question in us related to God's sovereignty, which is like what Trevor was saying, can God do whatever he wants? And as human beings, we ultimately have to come to terms with that question. Um, this actually is the root of Satan's rebellion. He did, you know, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Satan rebelled against that. And that root of rebellion exists in each one of us. And so when uh, we encounter it in people, we have to recognize where this is coming from. And we shouldn't, you know, blame them or have any feeling towards them. Like, you know, why could, how could you ask that question? In a yeah. sense, you can't help it. Because it's just the satanic element just coming out and manifesting itself. So then the question, so then, then, then this is where we have to learn how to shepherd people, how to care for people where they are. And we ourselves have to come to terms with that question. Are we okay with God mm -hmm. being able to do whatever he wants to do? So <clears throat> there's the element of his um, sovereignty. But actually, there's another element that I think is maybe that, that a lot of unbelievers are not aware of and that it's very helpful to point out, and that is there is the element of his mercy. And so the, these two really come together in, if I can use this term, God god's sovereign mercy so yes he's sovereign he can do whatever he wants but he also has mercy on whomever he will have mercy and these two elements come fully into play so actually as i'm thinking about it that question can you know why does a loving god kill people that's not actually the real question the real question is why can God do whatever he wants to? And in a sense, at least one of the responses is, well, because he's God and he's the creator, and because he is, he also can have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy. And right now, he wants to have mercy on you. So again, you bring That's it back. Good. Full circle make it personal yeah this wasn't on our outline this just came out through our fellowship 
Amen. That's so, good. Yo, yeah. Yo, can, like, take it away, bro. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we we need to. Um, okay, I'll try my best to go forward fast. Um, okay, so a, a few other things we wanted to uh, to mention. Um, and, and this this is maybe helpful, hopefully, for those of you who are at school. You know, there are there are uh, different uh, views, uh, different philosophies that are being pressed upon us all the time. Uh, one of them is the matter of uh, tolerance. What is it to be tolerant? And so I will read you a definition. Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, Zach, I'll read you a definition and you tell me what you think about it. Um, the definition is this. Uh, okay, where is it? What did I write that? Okay, so here it is. All views have equal merit and none should be considered better than another. All views have equal merit and none should be considered better than another. How does that sound? Oh, you, you sound so enlightened. Um, to me, that, that definition sounds a bit like... Um, I, I don't think I, I agree with that because it's... Your, your views should be challenged on their own merits and how they hold up. Not that everyone's views are correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so too. Uh, and you know that definition is a very common definition that we hear today, and 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 they wanna they wanna make it the definition, but it's actually no. I, I disagree with that. And just you disagreeing with it, if they hold that view and they are not happy with you, they go against what they just said, that all views have equal merits because your view is different from theirs, but they reject the fact that you have a different view. Uh, again, it's kind of self-refuting as we were you know, talking about earlier. Some views are bad. Some views are dangerous. And we should be able to say that uh, without being you know, um, bullied or without being um, getting in trouble. So. Uh, another definition for tolerance uh, for me would be to say that it's a fair, objective, permissive attitude toward those who, whose opinions, practices, race, religion, nationality, etc. differ from one's own. That's tolerance. So that means you have to agree with difference, with disagreement. Otherwise, we don't have different views. We have to agree to disagree. Uh, to be tolerant, and then our demeanor, our attitude is very important, and our attitude will define whether or not we are tolerant. So we just want to be on guard that they are, they have these moral things creeping in, uh, in in our societies um, today. Um, one thing that's very big sometimes is that people realize the world we live in is broken, so they want to fix it, and so usually they will try to fix the world as a whole. So they will be involved with NGOs or they will try to make the world a better place, uh, starting their own business, getting involved with other people to change the world. Okay, unfortunately, this does not work. 
it's very helpful for a lot of people, obviously. It's wonderful to do that, to help one another, but this will not change the world that we live in for many reasons, and we won't touch on them. Okay, second thing they try to do is to change the relationship they have with others to, to make things better. So if I, if I make my life with others better, then as a consequence, if we all do that, the whole world will be better. Again, this does not work. The third thing is to try to change myself. I try to be good, to be a good person. And if we all do that, then eventually the world will be good. Unfortunately, again, this does not work. A person has to realize that the matter is a matter of the heart. Our heart is deceitful above all things. It is incurable. So we need a new heart. So those who are not believers that have a concern for humanity, for all of these things, you can help them to realize what you need is a new heart. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, all of these passages show us we need a new heart and a new spirit. So, okay, I just wanted to mention that without entering into too much details. Um, okay, what else? Do we want to... Oh, yeah, the matter of sin. Okay, just very briefly. Some people will say, argue with you, there's no such thing as sin. Yeah. Um, okay, so when they say that, basically they mean there's no God. When you break the law, the human law, this is an offense, this is a crime. Okay, so you will call it a crime. When you break the divine law, that's a sin. And so no sin means there is no God. So you have to realize that actually they're saying there is no God. And if you have good points, good arguments to bring to the existence of God, that will help them accept that there is such a thing as sin. Okay, now in the Bible, in Greek and Hebrews, the word used for sin has this thought of missing the mark. Missing the mark. That's what sin is. You're missing the, the mark. God created us to have communion with him, to have fellowship with him, to contain him, to enjoy him, all of these things. And so when you sin, you miss the mark. And so that's maybe one thing you can mention to explain what sin is. It's something that separates you from God's eternal intention for you to receive joy, happiness. I mean, all of these wonderful things. And so it's missing the mark. So that's sometimes helpful for people to realize that if we have, if we are to have a, a relationship with a holy God, a perfect God, sin has to be removed. Sin has to be taken care of. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, do we want to conclude that section? Or your brothers want to add to that? Let's let's conclude it, bro. Because we got. Oh, I I do want to point out that we actually did not promise that today was going to be short. That is true. So go ahead, Nathaniel. Now, just really quick, um, do did we give out that definition of tolerance? Uh, no, we haven't. You want me to post it? Yeah, or just could you just read it out really quick? I thought that was really helpful because that's something we encounter a lot nowadays. So the, the new definition, some people are trying to push or a more uh, accurate one? 
which ones of the two? Oh, well, both. 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 Okay, so what I hear many times is that all views have equal merit and none should be considered better than another. Okay, in, in, in France at least, it's, it's very common. And on many American campuses, it's, it's, it's just very, very common. And so some views are wrong, sorry. And so this statement is just not correct. And if you go against that, then it goes against the people holding that view because they realize that you view it is not the same as theirs, so it doesn't have equal merit. So that's one. And the other one is that actually tolerance, it's a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward those whose opinions, practices, race, religion, nationality, etc., differ from one's own. That's tolerance. You agree to disagree, and you do it in a, in a nice way, with a nice demeanor, a nice attitude. And that attitude defines you as tolerant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I thought those were really helpful, personally. Um, yeah. So are we going on? <laughs> are we going on to... Uh, <clears throat> you can you can hear that there's life in the background yeah um so uh are we going on now to consider some of the other kinds of unbelievers that we might meet oh yeah yeah okay okay so be, 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 before we do before we do i just yeah. would like to mention one thing um just just very briefly so when, when you meet unbelievers um usually so they oppose what you're saying because of something rational, something that comes from the mind, something emotional, which is usually the case, or something volitional, something that comes from the will. And this is what Nathaniel mentioned earlier. It's they want to live their lives just the way they want. No one should tell them what to do. No one should tell them they, they refuse authority. They reject authority altogether. These ones are the hardest ones to talk to because they are just, you, they don't have to be anarchists, but they just refuse authority. So the idea of bending the knee to the Lord Jesus is just, okay, it just doesn't work with them. And so maybe, maybe um, you, can, you can tell them that, you know, the Lord conquered the whole world many, many hearts by love, not by violence, not by power, not by might, but by love. It's how I did it. And so one day I just pray, I hope that you will encounter this wonderful divine love that will just, in a way that you just cannot imagine right now, that will just subdue you, but not in the way that you think. And so anyways, these are the hardest ones to talk to in my experience because they just refuse this matter of submitting to a higher authority. And I think love is maybe a good element to bring out in the conversation. Yeah, that's really good. Anyways, I had a quote from Napoleon, but I don't know if we have the time to mention that or I can just post it somewhere. What's the quote, bro? What's the quote? 
to go. Okay, okay, I'll I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Okay, you know Napoleon. You know who this uh, this person is. Uh, he's also very popular. Napoleon. Napoleon. You're, so so you're able to say it that. Way. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, so you know, is this? Uh, anyways, listen to what he said. He said Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, Caesar, Charlemagne, another French figure, Char and myself, Charlemagne. Cha Charlemagne, yeah, <laughs> and Napoleon. They founded empires, you know, empires, huge. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him. In every other existence but that of Christ, how many imperfections? From the first day to the last, he is the same, majestic and simple, infinitely firm and infinitely gentle. He proposes to our faith a series of mysteries and commands with authority that we should believe them, giving no other reason than those tremendous words, I am God. I, I, I love that quote from napoleon and so yeah, i those... really hope he's a brother because that that'll be some really good fellowship you know when we yeah yeah, yeah. people disagree on this matter whether or not he's a believer i i, I think he was um but anyways but he, he was a strong-willed person and even him could realize that the love of the lord is just beautiful marvelous so yeah anyways Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I think he was saved too. He, he has another quote where he points he points at the Bible on his table to all of his generals, and he says, "That book might be a mere book to you, but to me, it's a living organism able to conquer anything that opposes it." Mm -hmm. So I think I think he uh, saw the Bible a little. Uh, Okay, can we hit some like listen guys, we're we're gonna hit three hours on this mug and and uh I think we just need to like hit the gas pedal here and just start rattling off stuff. Sure, yeah. So um one of the one of the things I think we wanted to hit was the common faith, right? Was, was yeah, that's right. That we were, yeah, okay. So this is a term that we that that we, you might hear us use a lot, the common faith. And unfortunately, uh, most of us can't rattle off what the common faith is. And so the common faith is the, the common faith that we have with all true blood washed believers. Okay. And so I have a diagram that I'm supposed to share at this point. And, and that phrase comes from Jude, the faith that is delivered once for all, common mm -hmm. to all believers. Amen. So here we go. We've got um, this is the this is a diagram. I hope you uh, it might be hard to see, but hopefully you can see it. Um, are you guys able to read that? Hard mm, to read. It's a bit. It's a bit. Um, should I just should I just post this in all of the WhatsApp groups? Anyway, can you, 
can we uh, we can put it in the uh, chat if you send me the file I can put it in the chat okay I'll send you the file and you can put it in the chat okay uh, like right now oh gosh or you know in a bit but maybe let's read through it or at least just point out the elements that are in here mm -hmm. okay so the, the main the main thing here is the, if basically this is the way that I like to, to remember it. If you remove any of these things, you, it, it uh, fractures your faith. Okay. And so one of, one of the things, uh, well, we can go through it. The Bible is the complete and divine revelation inspired by God word by word through the Holy spirit. And then there's some verses there. Now, now, as we go through these, there, there, might be, um, there might be some of them that different groups of people do not believe, and this is why they are not Christians, okay? This, this is why we're bringing this up. Uh, God is uniquely one yet triune, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Son of God, even God himself, was incarnated to be a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, that right there disqualifies a whole bunch of people. Okay, so one one of them would be um, uh, Muslims would not believe that. Okay, uh, so that's like a billion people or something. And then um, and then who else? That, that would also be Mormons do not believe that. That would also throw uh, Jehovah's Witness in there. Okay. So this third statement is a pretty massive one that we believe that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amen. So um, uh, did you get the file, Nathaniel? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to put the link in the, um, in the chat. You should be able to just download it. So the next, uh, the next one, Jesus died on the cross for our sins shedding his blood for our redemption. The next one is Christ was resurrected um, from among the dead on the third day. The next one is Christ ascended to the right hand of God to be Lord of all. The next one, whenever any person rejects, re, sorry, I can't, I can't even see it. Uh, every, whenever whenever a, any person repents to God and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is regenerated, born again, and became a living member of the body of Christ. And the last one, Christ is coming again to receive his believers to himself. Okay, this is the reason why this is so significant, is everything outside of this circle, as far as our fellowship with other believers, uh, doesn't matter. Okay, so if it's head covering, if it's baptism, if it's how you do communion, if it's the ground of the church, maybe it's the end times, the millennial kingdom. Maybe you're going to talk about the rapture. Maybe you're going to talk about prayer reading or calling on the Lord or exercising your spirit. Okay. Speaking in tongues, healing, all of it doesn't matter as in regards to fellowshipping with other believers. It's not something that we make issue over to, I, I guess you could say, if you do, you're creating a division. And so these are, these are the things that we can, we should be able to meet with any other blood washed believer on the grounds of the things in the common faith that, uh, and have fellowship with them. Mm -hmm. okay? 
There's yep. also at the bottom, these are uh, just egregious sins that um, we should never tolerate. So I, I hopefully everybody can, um, can read this. The reason why we're, we're hitting this before we go into these, uh, to these other parts is this directly uh, is related to, uh, for instance, Muslims, Jews, Mormons, um, and Jehovah's Witness, like we, like we've stated. Okay, um, basically saying that they're unbelievers, and yeah. so now we're going to. How do you talk to them though? Okay. So I'm going to take this off now that everybody has access to it. Um, okay. Yep. Well, okay. One thing here is I think um, we have to. So we might be actually speaking about these in two categories um, although there will be some overlap on, on all of them so one category you might say are kind of muslims and jews and then the other category is more like mormons and jehovah's witnesses now when we speak about muslims and jews actually this is both they're kind of they're kind of lumped in by religious scholars with christianity because they all, they all kind of draw from, they're called Abrahamic religions, uh, if you will. Okay, but the, you could say the main things that distinguish Islam and Judaism from Christianity are one, the truth concerning the triune God. Um, both to Jews and to Muslims, uh, and actually Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, um, this truth is, uh, they just can't, they can't accept it. Um, the idea that, so obviously we believe that God is one, but we also believe, according to the revelation in the word, that he is three. He's one yet three, okay? Amen. Don't ask me how he is. I can tell you why, but I can't tell you how. That's a mystery, and I'm fine with mysteries. Um, but actually Muslims and Jews are not. So they, they really want, you know, they, they really, uh, stress the oneness, uh, aspect. The other thing is the idea that God could become a man. So the incarnation, these two things. And so, um, I don't know about, I think Guillaume and Trevor, we've, we, we've all had the, ex had this experience when we're going out in the gospel, a lot of times we get confronted, not so much by Jews, but a lot of times by Muslims. And, and they, they like to, a lot of times what they bring up are related to either the Trinity, to Christ in his person, um, or to the Bible um, as the word of God. Those are usually the three things. And so one thing I think we want to stress is that this is not about winning arguments. This is not about winning debates. Yeah. We're not trying, we're not in that realm. Uh, but these are some things that might be helpful in understanding kind of where they're coming from. And also, you know, you may have friends that are Jews or Muslims and they may have questions. And so it's helpful to understand where they're coming from. And it's also, I think, helpful to see sort of what are, what are things we can, um, we can share with them and both with Muslims and Jews, it's really, really important to understand that their religious identity is absolutely wrapped up 
with their culture, with their language. So for them to change their belief is not simple. It's not like, oh, I'm Protestant. Now I'm going to become Catholic. Okay. I mean, I'm not, you know, you see what I mean? It's, it's very, very different for them to give up for a Muslim to become a Christian requires a huge price because they go against their family. They go against their culture. They go against everything. And so as a result, it takes uh, to gain one Muslim for the Lord uh, is not easy and it takes a lot of labor. Uh, but if the Lord puts someone like that on your heart, it's worth it. Uh, so we're not saying don't do it. We're just saying uh, don't expect quick results because the price they will pay will not be cheap. And the same applies um, for, for Jews. I don't know, brothers, if you have anything else along along these lines. I, there's there's so much that you could say. Okay, one one thing that I was that I was going to point out, and this is kind of categorically, this would this there's one verse that completely eliminates uh, Muslims and Mormons in the same it's in the same verse. It just annihilates it. Okay. And um, that verse is this one. Okay. Uh, okay, Zach. Is Zach still here? Zach's still here. Sorry. When I share my screen, people disappear. Zach, can you read that, bro? This is Galatians 1.8. Yep. But if even we or an angel out of heaven should announce to you a gospel beyond that which we have announced to you, let him be accursed. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you and I don't know if you know the origins of Islam or and the origin of uh, Mormonism, but both of them had angels appear to them and give them special um, things beyond the gospel that Paul originally spoke. Okay. So there, you know, they have ways of arguing this. They have all these things. Uh, this isn't something that I'm talking about. You bust this out and like throw it in their face. Okay. This is more for your education. Why everything at the Book of Mormon and the Quran are completely, completely ridiculously false. Okay. Just by this one verse, it disqualifies them. Okay. So um, I don't know if you guys want to add one thing we wanted to kind of do is we wanted to kind of educate all of you a little bit on what they actually believe. Cause I, I don't know a lot of people who actually know what they believe. Um, so we're going to kind of briefly like scream through that. Uh, but then we also wanted to give you kind of tidbits. Um, one of the things that I like to tell people to try, Zach, here we go, bro. This is, you're going to think this doesn't apply at all, but I, I really think it does. Um, and this is Ephesians 6, 16. Can you, can you read this? 6, 16. Besides all these, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay. Zach, the reason this relates 
is because Satan is able to throw flaming darts at us. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why are the darts flaming? Why aren't they just darts? Um, I guess because they're, they're damaging. I don't know. If I want to burn your house down and I just shoot an arrow through the window, uh, actually, I just did that. If I want to just destroy your house and I shoot an arrow through the window, it's not very effective. But if it's on fire, it's very effective, right? Yeah. So it's, it could just start off with an original thought, but then your whole brain catches on fire. Okay. And eventually it consumes you. Okay. There's a principle here that we can use. And I oftentimes tell people this. If Satan can throw darts, I can throw darts. Okay. And essentially when I when I meet with, with Muslims and, and with these people of other beliefs, of course this is done in a very tactful, loving way. But one thing that I want to do is I want to cast doubt on what they believe. Okay. And I want to start poking holes in it. And I probably, I probably will not be the person that saves them. Okay. If they're predestinated by the Lord, the Lord will find a way to do it. Okay. But I, and I, I might not be that person. Okay. But I want them to walk away and I want them to start reconsidering what they believe. Okay. And so sometimes, sometimes that tastes that it takes, you have to take risks. Okay. And, and honestly, sometimes when we take risks, we offend people and then we just apologize for it. Sorry. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean to offend you. There's a famous quote that I really like in order to be able to think you have to risk being offensive. Okay. So for me, for me to start to, to even start to think my thoughts could offend you. Okay. But if I constantly live in this world of like, oh, I don't want to make anybody upset. I'm so sorry. Like all this stuff, you're not going to be very effective. You're not going to be very effective. Okay. And, and we can also look at the New Testament. I mean, what, did Jesus act that way? Did Paul act that way? You know, did Peter act that way? No, I think a lot of the things they said didn't really sit well with people. Okay. Because they're coming in the name of God and God was going against the world and he was turning the world. Actually, he was turning it right side up. Okay. Cause it's already upside down. So this is, this is just a, this is just a, this is basic principle. Okay. One of the things that I have done with, with Muslims is I've just asked them in a very kind way. Obviously the big thing is who Jesus was. He's one of their main prophets. Actually, in the Quran, he's coming back to establish his kingdom on the earth and defeat Satan. Gosh, wouldn't you want to be on his team? Okay. So this is in the Quran. And oftentimes, I because they've been they've been so uh, honestly brainwashed, okay, they have been brainwashed into the Bible is totally corrupted. Okay. So if you pull out verses in the Bible, they're not going to listen to you. Okay. They're just not because they've been trained to do that. And so oftentimes you have to use things in the Quran to combat what they believe. Okay. Let's just use your book. 
So one of the one of the ways of doing this is in the Quran, not in the Bible. I want to clarify that so nobody like goes back into Genesis and starts rereading it. Okay, one of Noah's sons in the Quran has to, or he actually runs away and he runs up this mountain and he tries to save himself. He doesn't want to get on the boat. Okay, he dies, Zach. He dies. And, and this is interesting because you can turn this story and, and talk to this, this Muslim person about it. And you can just say, hey, like, what's the moral of this story? It sounds like you can't save yourself and God has a plan that you should follow, right? And they would agree. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, okay. Well, this completely undermines every thought that the Muslims have because they have a works-based system. They get saved by saving themselves, okay? So they, they essentially, what they believe is what they're doing. They're doing Noah's son running up the mountain to save himself, okay? So these are things that you can use in the Quran and just bring it to their attention, okay? Another, another one is asking them who Jesus's dad was. I love this one, okay? You should see their face when you bring this up, Zach. It's just, again, you have to do it in the right heart, in the right spirit. But the thing is, you can kind of lead, lead into this. Who's, who's Muhammad's dad? Okay, and they, they might know. They'll tell you. Okay, well, who's Jesus's dad? Oh, well, Gabriel comes down to Mary and actually in the Quran breathes the spirit into Mary and Jesus is conceived. Really? Okay, well... Uh, doesn't that mean he's at least half God? At least half, you know. And Zach, I'm telling you, they don't know what to say, bro. They, they, they start fumbling over their words. They start getting really, okay. The thing is, I, when they walk away from that conversation, that is a seed that went into their brain, okay? Logically, that makes sense. Okay, at least the Holy Spirit is half of Jesus. Okay, and so of course we don't believe he's half. Okay, I just want to clarify that. But the, the point of the matter is you just want to put this doubt in their mind that later on will just kind of chew at them. Okay, and, and this will eventually hopefully will catch fire and, and cause them to turn to the Lord. Okay, these are just some things that I've used. Brothers, please take it away. Uh, Guillaume, do you have anything? I have way too much things, so I should probably <laughs> stay quiet. Okay. There's just so much to say about this matter. This is maybe the the matter that I study the most, um, how to speak to Muslims, because for some reason, I'm very burdened for them. Uh, but, you know, we would be here until tomorrow, so I should probably be. I'll just add one little thing, and that is, it, it may seem like, well, why do you want to put plant a seed of doubt into the, you know, into, into uh, the mind of a Muslim or of someone who's Jewish. It might seem a little bit mean, but one thing we have to realize is that actually from a very early age, they are being indoctrinated with a certain, with all kinds of understanding concerning uh, the Bible and uh, concerning the Christian faith. And a lot of this is just not accurate. 
So, I mean, just one example is they kind of, a lot, a lot of them uh, have said, you know, are under the impression that we believe that Mary is part of the Trinity. Now, of course, we don't believe that, but they don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're told all kinds of things about what we believe. And, and we don't, we don't believe those things. And so when they, when you establish a relationship with someone who's Muslim and you are in a position to ask questions and they trust you and you trust them, then you're in a, you know, you can just ask questions like that. And when you do, uh, it just gets them to start considering because they realize, okay, maybe not everything I heard was actually true. Maybe not everything I heard growing up was, was actually, um, was actually accurate. Um, and so anyway, it's to, to my viewpoint, you're just, you're just helping them and uh, you're giving them a chance because otherwise they may not ever have an opportunity um, to kind of be rescued from uh, what they're under. But ultimately it, it, you know, we, we just have to be faithful and then leave the rest up, up to the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything else, Kim? Amen. I, I'm so, I'm so tempted to say something. Um, you know, maybe, maybe just a few verses, uh, just, just for you to know, and you all just do with them, whatever you feel to do. Um, okay. Some, some verses from, from the Quran and some verses from the Bible, but, one big thing in France that I run into is people asking me, where did Jesus say that he is God? And there's no verse that just plainly says, I am God. But actually, actually they are. But okay, let's not go there. Um, okay, Psalm 31.5 says that God is the God of truth. So that's the verse in the Bible. Psalm 31.5. Now, in the Surat 22, verse 6, so that's in the Quran, it says that Allah is truth. So God is truth. Allah is truth. In the New Testament, the Lord says, I am the truth. So actually he's saying that he is God. So that's one verse that, you know, you can use to show them based on what they believe in their book that Jesus is God. Another thing is Surah 3, verse 135. They have very long chapters, by the way. Um, It says, only Allah can forgive sins. Okay, now in Matthew 9, the Lord says that he can forgive sins. So again, he's saying that he's God. So there are many, many verses like that that you can use to help them realize that Jesus is not only a prophet, he is God. And actually, in their book, in the Quran, um, in Surah 10, verse 94, they said, if you have a doubt, go to the people of the book. So that's us Christians and the Jews. Ask them questions if you have doubts about, about the writings. And so that gives us a way to respond to th- some of their questions or actually to have a conversation with them. And actually, I think it's Surah 5, verse 47. I'm trying to read this in my notes that says that Allah will judge by what is revealed in the gospel and the Torah, not the Quran. So that, that gives credibility to 
the Bible, the book that we love. And that contradicts actually what they say in the Quran elsewhere. And I don't want to go into the details because there's so much things to say. Uh, but please, if the Lord so leads, um, be a little bit curious to know how to help them um, be saved, uh, receive the Lord. You know, in, Mar in Mark 12, when the Lord is asked by the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, you know, should we give tribute to Caesar? Uh, should we do it or not? And the Lord says, give me the denarius. And, you know, he's talking about the inscription. Who is this? And so he just says, you know, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is to God. And then the verse says, I think verse 17 or something says, they marveled at him. So, you know, he, he, he was expressing God. Yes. But he also had ways to talk to people. And they were amazed by his responses. So I think it's okay not being in the mind too much, but it's okay to study things a little bit to try to help people be saved, receive the Lord, come to know the truth. And, and verse chapter eight of John is a great chapter to use with Muslims. And so it says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Verse 32 and verse 36 says the son shall set you free so the truth is the sun and anyways there's so much there um I'll, I'll just stop here yeah and i think um so we're gonna believe it or not we are on our way to wrapping up and um this has been a, a longer a longer dive uh i don't believe you <laughs> we'll see um so we just want to kind of finish up a little bit with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And we're kind of singling them out because uh, um, they're probably the most active um, groups who they self-identify as Christians. And they're very active in trying to, to reach out to, to other Christian. They're trying to reach, they're very active in reaching out to Christians um, and, and, and other people. Um, and so we wanted to just highlight some things about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, that make it very clear that they do not hold to the common faith. Um, and so with, with Mormons, um, they believe that the, that the Trinity of the Godhead, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are three separate beings. So automatically, this is, this is a problem. Um, they also believe that Jesus is a God. Um, they do not believe that he is God. Um, and they also hold that other books other than the Bible, um, this includes the Book of Mormon and some other writings of their founder, Joseph Smith, um, they hold that those um, books are also uh, the, uh, the word of God. Okay, so this is, th this, uh, that automatically that points to three, and I would say three of the most crucial items of the common faith, mm -hmm. where they are very different from um, uh, from from believers. Uh, and so, uh, they will say that uh, because a lot of times uh, when it's pointed out that um, they hold other books other than the Bible as the Word of God, they will say, "Well." Their books just uh, restore 
the Christian faith back to what it was meant to be originally. Uh, but I would just point out that as we have said, uh, their belief concerning uh, the Trinity is heretical and their belief concerning the person of Christ is heretical. So there's no restoration, as they would call it, of the, to the original Christian faith. In fact, what they're presenting is something that that is that is heretical. Um, and then with Jehovah's Witnesses, again, uh, they uh, believe that Jesus is a God. They will even say he is the son of he is a son of God, but they do not believe that he is God. So this is a big problem. And so they're called Jehovah's Witnesses because they say they're witnessing uh, for Jehovah. Uh, but in, in, in actuality, they do not confess that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. So this is a big problem. Uh, we, this is, I think, just our feeling. We don't recommend engaging with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't recommend getting into debates and that sort of thing, because often when you meet them, their purpose and goal is to bring you into their fold. And so it's very hard to have meaningful um, conversation. Actually, even in, in 3 John, it speaks about those who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It speaks about not even speaking to them. So it's just something that, uh, I mean, I, the other brothers may have, may have more experience. Um, whenever they knock on my door, um, if I'm around, I'll just answer it. And I, I just, I, I realized pretty quickly who they are. And then I, I just tell them, well, I, I, I believe that Jesus is Jehovah. So, and that's it. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm, I am abrupt, but I just, I don't have time to waste. So anyway, I think that's just sort of, uh, how I, how I deal with them. And, you know, um, the same with, and the same with Mormons, Mormons are, if you, if you meet them, they really are, seem to be very nice people. They come across as very, very nice and pleasant people to be with. Um, one time we had a seminar in the book of revelation and these two young Mormon missionaries came in, they were invited by someone. And, uh, anyway, I learned a lot just, uh, uh, kind of being there with them. But uh, I can tell you that the niceness is natural. It doesn't come from God. Uh, because I, of, I, uh, I've had a number of experiences where they've kind of come to the breaking point. And, and you just realize that um, they're as human as anybody else. So uh, this is one of, I, I would say, the tactics of the Mormons is they don't actually have any theological legs to stand on. So generally speaking, they tend to um, try to attract people by being very nice and bringing them into their community and offering various benefits. So it's important to know that, um, especially you might be caring for someone and then you might find they're in contact with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. It's important to know kind of what Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses believe and what they're, what they're trying to do. And um, ultimately, we don't want anyone that we're caring for to be shipwrecked regarding the faith. So we have to be, uh, we have to be careful. And we also need to fight 
in prayer and in fellowship and shepherding for the ones that we're caring for. Um, because we want them to go on with the Lord and we want them to grow in the divine life so that they can become part of the bride that is readied and matured and brings the Lord back. So Amen. I don't know, uh, Trevor, Guillaume, do y'all have anything? <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot. <clears throat> do y'all have anything to add on that point? That's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure what to say, but it's really you know, precious. What? I just think it's hilarious, bro. There's so much that you want to say. Go ahead, bro. Anyways, you know, I mean, we have, like Trevor was mentioning this last week, like we have the unsearchable riches, right? We have access to these wonderful things. We have, by God's mercy, received um, the revelation of God's economy. We have the word, we have the opened word, we have a wonderful ministry, we have all of these things. And we just want others to enjoy that. Um, and sometimes we just need to learn how to, how to approach people. But I feel like if you have this kind of intellectual, so to speak, uh, I know it, usually it's a negative connotation, but if you engage the things you read, for example, in the ministry, that will help you a lot. Um, you know, I was realizing last Lord's Day, two days ago, that, okay, we are God's possession. He bought us with a price. We belong to God. But God is also our inheritance. God is our inheritance. And I don't know if you can believe that. And the consequences of that statement, that everything that he is, is yours. Not the Godhead, of course. You will never have glory in yourself, okay? But God, everything that he is, belongs to you. This is, this is too awesome. And if you engage the word, the ministry with this kind of uh, attitude, you will reap so much benefit. At least that's my experience. And so in relation to contacting others, we should have at least to some extent that approach of trying to find out how we can talk to them so that they can enjoy, not with an agenda like the Mormons to bring them into what we're doing, to do this and that, but just out of love and care and concern, shepherding them according to God. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And we do this together, um, not separately, but together so if you have questions ever if you doubt you know what we believe in what we do it's okay uh we have one another to ask questions so don't be stumbled when you come across people that are trained and equipped to say things that will undermine maybe what you believe in just reach out for fellowship um we don't have answers to things but we can have fellowship together to help one another go on that's right. In the enjoyment of the Lord. Um, okay. Yeah. Amen. I, I'll stop there because, yeah, I'm too talkative. No, bro. Okay. I, I was going to, I was going to hit on one thing that uh, I think with Jehovah's Witness actually specifically. Okay. Um, and I, I've always uh, admired my wife for many different reasons. And this is one of them, but my, my wife, gets so stirred up when she sees one of the Jehovah's Witnesses at the U-Bahn stops here in Germany. And one of her favorite things to do, uh, I think she actually gets joy doing this, 
she she loves to go over and if you if you watch them there's always one older one and one younger one they're like training them you know and my wife will purposefully completely ignore the older one and she'll talk straight at the younger one and just say jesus is god jesus is god like over and over again and like yeah i find it quite amazing and and really awesome um the thing is you can infuse faith into somebody yeah you know and and you're speaking you have no idea what that will do to that person um and and i i fully believe that when she does that something does happen um one one other thing that i would okay we basically said to to kind of in a sense kind of run away when they come the one one thing is if you if you actually do get in a very like you know you can't get away okay for instance you're at a bible table or you're something like and they've come to the table and they are like engaging you okay i can't walk away from the table you know what i'm saying so this is this has happened a lot and i think you just need to identify like when when you need to you need to learn and practice how to sum up the conversation this isn't going anywhere I shouldn't spend an hour with this person debating over certain verses. Okay. One, one thing that I have found um, is, uh, and I, I don't know if you guys find this cool. I, I really like this. You can maybe point this verse out. Uh, Zach, can we unmute you really quick? And I think we're, yeah, anyway. This is verse Exodus, Exodus 17, 2, bro. 17, Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why are you contending with me? Why do you test Jehovah? Okay, why do you test Jehovah? Okay, so this is, this is Jehovah. Why do you test him? Okay. Now, what's interesting is the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 9. And would you, would you believe... Can you hit can you hit this verse, bro? First Corinthians 10, 9. 9. Neither let us test Christ, as some of them tested him and were destroyed by the serpents. Okay. So who this okay, Zach, I think you're smart enough, bro. What am I saying here by connecting these two verses? Um that um well test um we shouldn't it is in our place to, to test the lord um who are and, who are they testing in exodus bro who are they testing um moses as the representative of god right right or, and he says don't test jehovah yeah okay who are they testing in this verse referring to exodus oh christ yes Okay, yeah. who is Christ? Uh, Christ is God. Okay, Christ is Jehovah, bro. That is correct. So this is this is the thing. Even in the New Testament, there's a reference to Christ being Jehovah in the Old Testament. Okay, don't test Christ. Don't test Jehovah. Same story. Okay, so this is this is interesting because actually in their Bible. It's called the, what, the New World Translation? 
Is that right? Okay. In that translation, they actually purposefully change this word, which is the anointed one in Greek, and they change it to Jehovah. Okay. Let us not test Jehovah. Okay. So they do this on purpose. This is a verse that I like to show to them. And I'll even pull out an app on my phone and show them in Greek that they purposefully change this. And actually they need to just admit that Christ is Jehovah. Okay. So this is, this is just one that you could, I'm saying, I'm not saying I go up to them and I try to do this. Okay. I think we've made that abundantly clear. Yeah. But if I'm in the situation, just connect these two verses and just say, listen, Christ is Jehovah. I'm sorry. Like, go away. Okay. Um, I think that, oh, this is another, can we do one verse and then finish? Yes. I want to do, I, I, can we end this on a Bible verse? You know, Let's end it on a Bible verse. Amen. Yes. Okay. So a question, a question, Zach, that I always have is how can they believe this stuff? Mm -hmm. You know, when you really, I was always thinking that when I was in religious studies, I'm like sitting in class and they're educating me on Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and all. I'm like, how can they believe this? Okay. Yeah. There's an answer to that. Okay. And the answer is in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, bro. This is, you got to remember this one. And this isn't just religion. This is actually the, the whole tide of this age, bro. Everybody who is not having their mind renewed and transformed, according to Romans 12, this is what's happening. Okay. This is the age of lawlessness. That's in verse 7. Can you read verse 11? And because of this, God sends to them an operation of error that they might believe the lie. Okay, bro. God allows them to believe the lie. Can you believe that? So it's like, it's like, man, if I need my mind renewed all the time so that I don't start believing the lie. And that has, that, that's not just different religions, okay? That's different ideologies. Different, different ideas in politics and all these types of things, okay? You can give your whole being to it, okay? And you're believing a lie and God's allowing you to, okay? So in order to safeguard ourselves from that, we need to be renewed in our mind all the time. 